Hello all, welcome for a surprise episode of Magnum Reads. Using the excuse that we are all together for New Year's to record what is now the continuing hours of, I think, seven hours of recorded material, yep. we decided that since we're all here and have read a particular novella, we're all going to give it a try. So this is a uh, crossover in many ways between our podcast Mangum Reads and G.U.T. Got Questions, where we chose a story from George R. R. Martin, who I love throwing shade at and might do again now, mm -hmm. um, where we could take both at least Spencer's undying love for A Song in Ice and Fire mm -hmm. and my willingness to read pretty much anything that's relatively short. And, <laughs> and your, your documented willingness to read things that you hate for the purpose of then making fun of them. Exactly. Um, and, and so we took a, the first of the Duncan Egg stories from uh, a compendium, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, and this was uh, The Hedge Knight by George R. R. Martin. Let's do introductions first, because we have an unusual collection of guests here for this particular podcast. As per usual, I am Spencer, and vaguely hosting this weird affair. With me, of course, is BJ. BJ, how you doing? I'm doing quite well, Spencer, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing well this morning, because last night was was a little rough. BJ worked actively us. hard for me to not be well this morning. <laughs> it's all for the entertainment of the people. Yeah, I still sit vaguely shaking as I'm now recording the podcast. <laughs> With me, we have one of our guests from last night, How the Hammer Woo. How's it going? Great. Fantastic as, morning. As well as we have a new addition to... Come on closer, Al. As well as we have a new member of the podcast. Please, introduce yourself for us. Um, hey, I'm Sarah. I guess I am, I'm married to Lee, although that's not the name I know him by, so it's a little, <laughs> um, a little odd. As we will see in this book, necessary fictions are part of this show. Sure. Um, as are, as are um, sort of nom de plumes as mm -hmm. well. Everybody's going by different names, so I might as well call him Lee. Given these subjects, we've been called a nom de guerre. He's earned this in battle. <laughs> we also have additional people here as well who will contribute on occasion to this particular podcast. We uh, definitely have a peanut gallery. Uh, one is uh, Levi Baxter, who... Uh, Feisty is, peanut gallery as yeah. well. <laughs> the best man at, at Lee's wedding and his best friend. And uh, you may know him from the Got Hoops or uh, Mangum Hoops podcast. And my uh, girlfriend, who uh, is tirelessly typing away at her laptop, will probably uh, throw in some comments as well as we go through... This short story. We're also expecting maybe another individual or two to swoop in at random moments. We can only hope, but we'll find out. As for today and as for our subject, novella we're discussing is the, as BJ said, the first novella of the Duncan Egg series, which is kind of a side series that um, Martin has been writing in between choosing not really to work on the main series of Game of Thrones. Uh, in the downtime that he has from fantasy football, he can squeeze out a little novella, you know, once every couple of years. I'm surprised at that man's love of fantasy football. There aren't just more straight New York Giants references in the books. I think there are actually a few. That that, that's in. where he got the Giants from. I mean, it, it, it ah, wasn't originally supposed to be in the story, but, but all of the Giants that, that are north of the wall are just New York Giants players that he just wanted to sneak in. <laughs> well, in terms of basic introduction to the book, Duncan X series is set about 100 years before the main Game of Thrones series and comes across as a very different tenor and tone of uh, novella. The main Game of Thrones series is famous for its darkness, for its subversion of various tropes of the classic fantasy setting, for being in many ways the Sopranos set in Middle-earth. Um, on the other hand, Duncan Egg is a much more classic, almost campfire fable style of tale. The impression you guys have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels very mythic, um, but in a different 
um, in a different way than the sort of like epic myths of A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, it is much more fable-like, um, much more almost um, sort of fairy tale and you can as even, well. You can even depict that from the, the name of the compendium, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. It sounds like something of everybody's gathered around the campfire and they're saying, have you heard the tale of the mm-hmm. Knight of the Seven Kingdoms? And it ends up spinning out kind of like that as well. It's almost a sort of like Scheherazade-like tale where things just sort of happen. Yeah, things happen. It's continuing through to like just various moments of, and he's walking, he's walking, and oh, the equivalent of a dragon is under the bridge. <laughs> and this is the problem now to solve. Um, and even, I think, Sarah, you know, we were talking about it previously, that even the tenor and tone of it sounds like spoken word in terms of the pacing of how the tale is told. Yeah, it's got a lot of, like, just weird moments of iambic pentameter, which is, like, very much the sort of spoken word. Um, Purposely so for a stage presentation. Very Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah, it is very Shakespearean. It feels it feels like it is meant to be read aloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I also found kind of funny in this novella is I know... Martin has a little trouble with the timing of things in some of his books, but this was just very like a, all right, well, my night mentor died, and then the next day I'm going to go to attorney and, you know, win my name and, and make a bunch of money, and then, like, the next day after that, like, I'll do something else heroic, and, you know, it's been about... 12 hours since since I buried my mentor. I, you know, it's it's the perfect time to, to, to enter into the lists. And... It is. Time is like... Um, contracting and expanding in weird ways oh, in yeah. all of these things. It's a little <laughs> unclear how much time has passed T- time. from page to page. Because t- the time is very much built around plot points. There's no necessary movement between events, which is something that uh, Song of Ice and Fire is celebrated for, is it shows characters going from point A to point B. It's cited as a point of realism. These novellas are not built around that. They're built around giving stories, giving examples, giving lessons from particular events. And so the entire story is structured certain key events that are happening and certain necessary events that lead towards that goal. But just to set up the background of the story, Duncan Egg set about a hundred years before A Song of Ice and Fire starts, the main series. It's set during a point when the Targaryen dynasty is still alive. Well is questionable. This is a Targaryen dynasty that is in still in many ways recovering from the aftermath of a series of brutal civil wars. And only has recently kind of found its footing again. In post-dragon society, you might say? That's a very accurate point to make. These are the Targaryens still in charge, but these are the Targaryens by which their dragons are now only something that sits on their icon. It is no longer something that exists in the world. Although they do exist in recent memory within this book. Yes. Um, various char- characters claim to have seen yeah. the last of the dragons. And, and those stories have become so important that they're passed down of where you were when you got to see the last dragon in its last moments and how the world has changed as a result of the leaving of the dragons. So... By the time we get to A Song of Ice and Fire, even just a hundred years after when this book is set, dragons have disappeared into myth. It's to pick various characters. Well, I think myth is a little bit far, because there are people that presumably have seen them. Though I would say this might be a little bit more of a swamp dragon than, than a full well, noble dragon, and uh, that the last dragon my, there. My, <laughs> to, to reference our other stories we've gone through, yes. <laughs> but I would say there that the main people we hear that acknowledge dragons exist are those who are still living among the skulls that are those who are still in a position of power or a position of learning to know that this is actually part of history. For the common folk, there's active belief that dragons never existed, that there's something that's become part of tales. Whereas in this, it's still recent enough that the common folk, including various hedge knights, can talk about their own experiences and their own knowledge attached to it. Um, Because this is set in the Targaryen dynasty still, it provides a very different setting and style and focus than we get in Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, we still have the... A very much a medieval society, but it's one that's recently completely changed the nature of dynastic succession. 
and where Robert has come in and he's claimed this kingdom for the first time in hundreds of years by right of conquest. Whereas in this, this is a distinctly classic medieval chivalric world. It is built around the various knights, the various lords, the various customs. In a way, I don't think we... I've not really read many books that have really been focused in much how a medieval world would focus from the perspective of someone who's not really in any position of authority to make use of that world. And uh, it's also a much more stable society than we've experienced at all within any... Required so. It's built around certain uh, necessary stabilities. But that's exactly the reason why many of the the events in this series of novellas can actually happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have tourneys really like this happening with this frequency by the time you get to a song of ice and fire. Is that right? The main tourney that we see is one that's being hosted by the royal family itself. In terms of tourneys that is being hosted by various lords, if they're happening, they so quickly disappear into the the miasma of civil war that we just don't even see that kind of world. Whereas in this, this is very much almost like the classic knightly fantasy stories, telling about, you know, Sir George seeking out the dragon and all that. And I I think that might be a reflection of how apocalyptic Robert's rebellion was in many ways yes um because we we see many many characters and that's one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about about Martin in the Song of Ice and Fire you see so many characters and so many different viewpoints but so many of them aren't men of fighting age that would have been all of these knights all of these lords that would be hosting these tourneys and so it's it's presumably at some point this whole segment of the population was killed oh it was we don't really get into the idea of like a World War I lost generation occurring during Robert's world, but we kind of assumed that was the case. But getting, getting into themes in a minute so we can actually <laughs> yes. talk about the story yeah. for those who are either reading along with us or we'll get there at some point. Duncan Egg again is set 100 years before, and it follows really the travels and travails of a particular individual by the name of Dunk. With many other nicknames attached to that name, many of his own invention. But what can we, what can we say generally before we go into the nature of his plot? About Dunk, how would we introduce or describe him as a character? Dunk is a long. Dunk, 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 dunk the long, thick as a castle wall, yeah. right? Like that's. Yeah. Uh, dunk has his own repeated rhyme that he often uses to describe himself in his own head. When he pretty consistently is bashing himself, he's a person who, more than anyone else in the book, is constantly doubting his own abilities and his own ability to overcome and achieve things. Well, you certainly said that. Um, he comes up with many different sort of names for himself and titles for himself, but that's kind of the thing that he goes back to the most consistently. Oh, I think so. that that is very much his sort of driving understanding of himself. Which is kind of sad to a certain degree because the reason that he keeps going back to it is that the one father figure that he had told him this as a repeated rhyme. It was a constant mocking refrain that he would have from his one father figure, Sir Arlen of Penitre. Well, he did say that Sir Arlen meant it... Nice affectionately. Yes, but he doesn't seem to regard it always affectionately when he's referring to himself. He never refers to it himself in a positive, sarcastic no, that, tone. that's true. That's true. Sir, well, Dunk is starts this story as um, the in the act of burying his master, burying the knight that he served, that he was the squire of for many years, that he was a foundling boy pulled from the streets of the largest city in Westeros, and has been for, well, I think it's suggested, about a period of ten years, roaming the Seven Kingdoms as what's called a hedge knight, which, as Sarah pointed out, is actually a phrase that I did not know existed. Well, I, I thought about that again, and then I thought I might have been making that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> with George R. Martin, you're never sure what he's just invented for the page. But a hedge knight is essentially a more noble kind of mercenary, a knightly mercenary, a, a mercenary that has gone through the vows of any other knight of the Seven Kingdoms, and so in some ways puts himself over that. That, In ideal sense, they keep to, an honor, they keep to a knightly code, 
They obey certain principles. They're dedicated and sworn to the faith of the seven. And so they put themselves in a higher category than an ordinary mercenary. But Dunk is burying his one connection to this world at the start of this tale. An old knight that has died upon a hillside because they couldn't afford any shelter. And simply, he died from the elements over the course of three days there in the rain. And he's quickly left with the question of what his own future in this world will be, now that his one connection to a life, his one tying to any profession and drive for the future has been eliminated. And Dunk quickly finds a new path for himself that drives the nature of this story. Hedge Knight's a real thing. Yeah. I looked it up. I knew it. Okay. Come close to the mic if you're going to say that. <laughs> Our other wayward yeah. guest we were hoping was yeah, going to show up is here. You guys are doing a bang-up job. I'm enjoying this. I just wanted to say I fact-checked. Hedge Knight is a real thing. Okay. And I always believed that I was right on this fact, and I knew that that was a real thing. <laughs> you you barely, never backtracked You used this it. as a clever way to get him involved in the cast. That was brilliant to work sure. that in like that. that. Was, yes. You're but welcome. Now that Dunk has lost his master, he's lost what essentially was his life for the last 10 years emerging from basically being Oliver Twist on the streets. How does he choose to set out his future for this tale? What is the driving focus of the story? So essentially, he's looking to continue as a knight, and he sort of decides that, oh, there's a tournament going on that's relatively nearby. I'll just go and enter it. I have a couple of horses, and I'm big, and I'm just going to win. Mm-hmm. I'm going to become a champion. And which was kind of an interesting thing that just sort of happened because presumably they were traveling somewhere in specific. Were they traveling to this tournament? Is that kind of what's implied? I didn't really get that. I think he knew about it, but but it, to me it wasn't like a... Sir Arlen wasn't going to in put his name on the list. I mean, mm. that, that was very clear that, that this... Uh, hedge knight that he was squaring for was not go ahead spencer no no uh, yeah. i'm gonna agree with you was, was not you know going to tourneys anymore he he really wasn't that sort of knight and he seemed to you know throw his lance in with you know some battles with some lords but but he really was much more way past his prime and a little bit more of the you know saving cats up trees rather than taking down, you know, the, the champion of, of the other lord. And I think that's very accurate. We see several times of Dunk repeating the various stories of the old successes of decades back that his master had in terms of breaking several lances with the Dragon Prince himself, in terms of his prior successes in tournament, which I think is in some ways what's driving Dunk now that he's lost his master to join this tournament, is in some ways hearkening back to those old stories and successes that he's probably been hearing about and raised with for years. Although I will certainly say, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about sort of unreliable narrators Quite later um but those stories are really only told from sir they are passed down through sir arlen with no necessarily corroborating right. fact yeah. in fact we get something later that mm-hmm. somewhat pulls into right. it. Yeah. It, it problematizes one of yeah. the stories it doesn't discount <laughs> oh. it entirely yeah. remarkably um, almost overly politely second guesses certain details yes. <laughs> yeah um but it is interesting that as you point out that that's the sort of dry that this understanding of what Sir Arlen as a knight was is perhaps a driving factor um, for Dunk when that might not have been entirely true mm-hmm. to begin with. Right, but it's in many ways the stories that he knows about how to be a knight. Mm-hmm. That he's been, it, it, almost similar to some of the main like younger characters. Dunk is like 16, 17, but he comes across in many ways as being remarkably younger. He comes across as being very naive and very innocent in certain ways of the world. 
a world that is pretty hostile to that level of naivete. So what do you think has happened in the past decade of his service? Because a lot of what we hear about Sir Arlen is previous to his to Dunk's squireship. And we know that they've traveled at least some and mm-hmm. presumably pledged to a couple of lords because that, that is referenced. Yeah. But what do you think they've actually undergone together? Because, you know, we do understand that Sir Arlen doesn't have the same prowess that he used to. I mean, he did go into some lord services, but... Dunk seems very naive in terms of what actually happens in a war, in attorney, in pretty much everything that presumably with this decade of experience squiring for a knight that's been presumably doing something. Yeah, I mean, it's unclear. It's unclear. I think the main skills we see Dunk display are those of a squire. We see Dunk educate and lecture other characters about how to scour and maintain armor, how to set up a campsite, how to look for locations. In terms of anything that would go beyond that, and I think this is very much hinting to a theory we're going to discuss later over the course of this books, uh, it doesn't seem like Dunk was very much educated in the process of being a knight or in the process of actually being an independent person in the world. He it, was a squire servant of a knight. And it's it seems, at least, the evidence that we have is that the what they were actually doing was more or less just roaming around. Yeah. Like, not necessarily, as you were saying, BJ, kind of getting into, like, real conflicts or battles. Or, like, yeah. doing night things yeah. among people. They, they, they make a lot of campfires. They yeah. eat a lot yeah. of salt beef and wander about. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's why Dunk is so good at those exact tasks, right? <laughs> and not really much else. Yeah. And, and Dunk talks about sometimes that his master sustained in a wound in a war like ten years before. Mm-hmm. But in terms of describing the lords and knights that they have served and sworn their blades to, most of the time it just seems like that they were there to be counted. They were there to represent a force. They camped. The mission was accomplished without any direct role from them. And then they went somewhere else to find work again. This roving, almost gypsy lifestyle seems to be the main nature of the profession of being a uh, hedge knight. Um, so we're like two pages in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Dunk talk, talks about how that Sir Arlen of Pennytree, in his last acts, knighted him. And that the fact that he knighted him has opened up an entire array of options that he otherwise wouldn't have, including notably going off and joining this tournament. And so he goes to this tournament, this incredibly large affair that's seemingly happening on the Riverlands right now, which again dates this to a much more early chivalric world of Westeros than we'd previously seen. But he goes to this to get his name in the list, and as he's going towards this um, particular tournament, he stops in an inn and meets who will ultimately be the other main character we're going to discuss over the course of these books. The buddy of the buddy cop. The the buddy of the buddy cop. Uh, Egg. What do we initially know about Egg when we meet him? He's bald. We, that is a key detail that is provided, yes. He uh, is in the vicinity of the inn. Yeah, well, he's. I think he was in the stables. Yes. Yeah. No, well, no, he was coming out of the river, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, this little naked okay. boy yeah. just kind of wanders out of the river past him. That's mm-hmm. how he originally meets him. And he works to the assumption that naked kid walking in the street in front of an inn, stable boy, great. Take my horse, please. <laughs> Which apparently, how this, how this kingdom works is that the first naked kid you see will probably take care of your horse if you ask him to. Um, walks in, gets information about the, about what, where the tourney's taking place, gets a little bit of food. Which one thing I like over the course of this is that since we're seeing this series in this world from the perspective of a person who is on the lower end of wealth, the lower end of power, 
these books take this novella takes pains to describe what value money is. I mean, this character thinks to a great degree about I have three silvers, I have a chip garnet. How far can I live on this? What is the cost of food for a night? What is the cost of an inn for a night? And there are many moments over this we really see the financials of Westeros and the financials of this world in a way we haven't really previously seen in George R. R. Martin works. Do you, do you think he got receipts for his expenses <laughs> that, you know, as, as he was like, well, you know, I guess not, you know, I'm going to get a chicken and, uh, what was it, a leg of lamb or, or, or something? Yeah. Um, and, and do you think he had drawn out receipts so he could tally up everything and, and do some uh, double... We don't know account. of an annual income tax being levied in Westeros to need <laughs> this kind of tax backup for the next five years. It's possible. He, also, his responses to food kind of reminded me of the meme from Parks and Rec where the um, innkeeper sort of comes out and is like, well, you know, we have some chicken roasting, you know, we have some lamb, we have some stew, we have some bread, and Dunk sort of just goes, yup, you should bring that to me, and I'm going to eat that. He's like, I don't think you heard me clearly enough. I said, bring me all of your eggs yeah. and bacon. <laughs> but Dunk uh, gets his food, refuses a night in the end because he's trying to be very, very spendthrift for what he knows is going to be a, a pretty bank-breaking process in terms of getting, getting set in this tournament and ready to compete. Which is um, also, I think, really funny because the amount of money that he needs to accomplish what he's about to do is orders of magnitude oh, different than the three silver that he seems so worried about. <laughs> yeah. I feel like one silver or whatever it was to say the night. It wasn't, I think it was like coppers. It was not a mountain. Food is cheap in this world. Right. But but the, the room at the end, which yeah. he decided, decided not, not to do, right, right. you know, had pales in comparison to what later comes out to be the money that he needs to... Hundreds to... and hundreds of silvers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but he's in, this, he's in this in common room. He sees this one drunk noble off in the corner who vaguely shouts that he knows him. He goes outside to find that this little stable boy has now donned his armor and mounted his horse. I was going to say, actually, that's a much more important interaction that you just waved away. I did, we don't know, know who the guy is right <laughs> yeah. now. No, you got very hand-waving I, yeah. no. I saw you in a dream get away from yes. me. Sure. And also, if there is if there is one drunk noble in an inn in Martin, this is like Chekhov's gun. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to know. <laughs> Remember this, this drunk noble. Yeah. <laughs> even from the fact that the inn is empty, but for this one drunk noble. There's no one else to focus on, really. <laughs> But he has the interaction with the drunk noble, who kind of vaguely just stumbles out of the scene after delivering this kind of haunting prophecy. Goes out and finds the stable boy has donned all of his armor and is upon his horse. And is as the a... war horse, what, which is important. Is on thunder, one of his three horses that he has. Which I like that too, that they've described that he has three horses and they have different roles for different purposes at different times. Which is very authentic for how that would work, I think. Um... And a lot of money for a random hedge knight to have, essentially. I mean, he he's land poor or or you know uh cash poor yeah, well he's horse poor they, I mean, they talk about the <laughs> no, <he's horse> <laughs> they, they talk about the fact that he's poor in terms of money and active resources mm -hmm. to use on things but his gear and weapons and everything else is a substantial portion of yeah. equity that he's traveling with him is castle steel a thing because that comes up in in martin's books yeah. so often and and again here where a sign of quality is it's castle steel I, mean, I would assume that castles would hire the higher quality blacksmiths, and so that that just means it's from that mark and trade. Yeah, I seem to remember the term brought up at some, like just very briefly once, mm -hmm. but I might be misremembering no, that. It's in there. Okay. And I mean, I fundamentally uh, think that 
castles would be built on trade thoroughfares, um, so they would have higher quality ingredients to put with. Probably stop piling the supplies yeah. and be, you know, where the the lord that had the mine for the coal or whatever, and so that's going to be the trade point, and so they're going to have way better access to all of the things necessary to make better steel, mm-hmm. as well as the talent that they can employ, rather than you know whatever smithy is out in some town, you know. You might have pretty decent quality, but you're just not going to get the same talent because those are going to be drawn to the major cities. Right. They would also just have a, uh, so it's Lee just checking in again. Fact check: Castle Steel is a phrase. Like okay. A thing okay. Itself. Yeah. It's kind of nice having a fact checker yeah. like, in the moment. We're doing every episode. Yeah. Live, this feels live very fact checker. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> doing better than Cena at this yeah. point. Okay, so we left off with a bald little kid on a horse in full armor. In full yeah. armor. Um, what happens next? I mean, Dunk quickly forces the boy off his horse, who immediately demands, as Dunk fully expects him to do, to come with him to the uh, tournament off the, the... What's actually... What's the name of the, where the tournament's taking place? Ashford. It's Ashford. Yep. Thank you, Hal. Ashford Town, which I thought was a really weird way. It was like cap, capital Ashford and then just town. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why why is it a town? Shouldn't it be like, you know, the Lord's Manor or, or something along those lines? It just... I don't know, it's weird for me to read that. In these initial interactions that uh, Dunk and Egg have, we get some early hints that Egg is not the little peasant stable boy that he, well, that Dunk assumes that he is to be. Um, For one thing, Egg is just straight up irreverent at all times, just straight up uh, disrespectful with Dunk, which would not really be befitting a peasant referring to a knight, even a... Uh, a homespun hedge knight the way that Dunk is. Or somebody three times his size. I mean, l- l- let alone, you know, having some, some titles. But He straight up tells him he doesn't look like a knight. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also found it kind of funny that Dunk keeps saying, I should cuff him. I'm not going to. Cloud him about the ears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should phrase. hit him. I should. I'm not going to, but but I really should hit him. Well, that does seem how he re- to be how he responds to just anything confusing yeah. that he doesn't quite know what's going on. Which, just, just hit it. Which it's fine. sadly may say a certain thing about his own upbringing with Sir Arnold of Pennytree, uh, because he even talks talks about when he's burying the guy that you only beat me when I deserved it. Except for the one time. Except for that one time with the pie. You knew yeah. better than that. Um, it also probably has to do with his upbringing before Sir Arlen in Flea Bottom, which we learn later, like, I mean, we already knew, but well, we learn more specifically later was a very, like, Scra- Scrappy is an oh, understatement, yeah. I would say. This is not Oliver Twist and Fagin and the little children hanging out with his pickpockets. This was a violent, brutal life that he thanks Sir Arwen for saving him from. Um, Which is also impressive, and we'll get to it later, that presumably the number of fights that he got into as like a four- and five-year-old was just off excessive. the wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so basically he meets up with this bald little boy, and... Um, he then interacts with the innkeeper and sort of tells her that the, her stable boy is, is, uh, a little bit of an asshole mm-hmm. and she just sort of looks at him funny. Uh, yeah. It says there's, oh, my son's off at the, he's probably off at the tournament. I'm not sure where he is, but yeah. yeah. Um, but eventually Dunk kind of just throws Egg a coin, assuming that'll be the end of the story that he can't bring him. He doesn't want to bring him. And, uh, Dunk then marches off to the tournament. Whereas we talked about. Dunk is not really well equipped to serve in a tournament, but has plans and ideas about how he's going to get there. Yeah, so he essentially has no armor, 
he has that, that fits him, <laughs> right? That that fits him, or or at least very mediocre armor that fits him. He has uh, a sword that yeah. is at least relatively functional for for somebody of his size, and then three horses, none of which are particularly worthy of of a serious knight, but he's going to do his best. Mm-hmm. And what is his plan for improving himself in this regard, getting the necessary gear that he needs to actually fight in this tournament? I don't know that he has a serious plan. I think he just sort of wings it, because he, he <laughs> seems to show up at an armor and is just like, well, I have a silver. Can I get a full set of armor? Reserve a full set of armor for later. Yeah, but, you know, it. this armor presumably knows what happens at a tournament, so it's Kind of like, can, can I kind of have a set of armor that I'm probably going to lose, have absolutely no money, and, you know, good <laughs> luck from there. So his nominal plan is to get into this tournament, and if he can just win one round, mm-hmm. he really has no hopes of winning more than one round, <laughs> because... But he can't lose one round because if you lose, you forfeit your armor, your horses, everything, everything, it's a pretty certainly cool. everything for him. Um, it doesn't seem to be quite so disastrous for other better equipped. Knights. Yeah, if you have more than one horse right. and one set of armor, then losing those isn't the end of the world to you. You can see why more hedge knights don't participate in the tournament, though, because if they buy in price for one that doesn't have his own lands and you know people to serve him, that's a hell of a bit of, a, of an initial bid. Yeah. And I'm actually sort of curious because there seems to be a, a fairly large difference between tilts at the jousting and the melee of a tournament. And it seems like he'd be really well suited to one of those and that isn't on his radar at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this massive dude that, that, that presumably can just sort of lay about him with a sword and he has reach and size on everybody that he encounters. And it's like, hmm... I'm going to joust. <laughs> yeah, which he readily admits he has very little even practice with. Right, and which everyone he interacts with pretty much just tries to humor him about, oh, you're, you're going to win? You're going to get your money worth? Oh, best of luck to you. <laughs> um, one scene that uh, happens pretty early on here that I want to come back to from, a, a sim, uh, from um, symbolic uh, elements of the story, but Dunk doesn't have his own pavilion. Right. He can't join the various knights on the parade field as they're setting up for the tournament when he, in the acts of trying to get his gear and everything else. So Dunk goes off to like the immediate wilderness that surrounds the town and kind of creates his own very natural emerged from the earth style of a, of a knightly pavilion. Where does he set himself up? You guys remember? Um, it's in a glade next to a river. Mm-hmm. And a um, large elm tree. And a large yeah. elm tree. Or yeah. it's, it's this uh, black pool that he kind of merges himself over, emerging down the street. This incredibly picturesque scene that even comments to himself that, huh, it's kind of odd nobody's really found this yet. <laughs> Although, again, it's a little unclear um, to what extent that is his self-preservation or imaginative properties coming in. This could um, be a bog. We don't because, know. <laughs> yeah, as, because as, as soon as he kind of makes these statements and gets himself set up mm-hmm. in this um, pavilion of the wild, mm-hmm. um, somebody else sort of, he goes off, but somebody else turns up. Who is that that turns up? Um, so one one little bald boy. Oh, the bald boy <laughs> returns. <Yes. laughs> um, and immediately, immediately, Egg tells him, "You don't have a you don't have a tent." Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, well, what are you doing? This tree is my pavilion. That, that's a tree. What if yeah. it, what if it rains? Uh, <laughs> the leaves will keep me dry. 
it leaks. <laughs> so there's a little bit of kind of yeah. <laughs> some immediate walking back here. It's also kind of what Egg exists to do throughout most of the story is just actively attempt to take the wind out of Dunk of, of Dunk's sails. <laughs> well, so the other side that I would say it's probably not a bog is apparently one of the most important things that Dunk has decided is very nightly is to bathe on a very mm. regular basis. And so <laughs> that was a little bit confusing to me. Um, but sort of like an, all right, so I would guess that it's probably a little bit more sure. inviting to, to a, uh, I think that's true. I think it's probably just a regular wood though. Mm-hmm. And not yeah. like <laughs> picturesque, <laughs> this yeah, fairy right. land that he has oh, stepped yeah. into. Oh yeah. The, the will-o'-wisp that he's describing are purely just for the sake of the recounting the story. Yeah. Um, but Dunk sets up at this particular pavilion, Egg shows back up. And now that Egg's actually made the trip, Dunk is much more receptive to the idea of maybe having a squire here. Because in some ways, he know, he is immediately sympathizing with Egg. He feels like they're sharing the same story and some events that has led them to this moment. That Sir Arwen grabbed me. He took me away from a life of poverty, a, 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 a life otherwise that I had. In some ways, I've got an obligation to do the same for this little stable boy that's now latched on to me. Well, he's mm-hmm. also a little bit more willing because... And he does note that being a stable boy at an inn isn't, like, his upbringing. Yeah. It's a relatively stable upbringing, and so to just, like, whisk him off sort of immediately might be a little bit unfair. But now that but, the kid's but, already Yeah, left. but now that the kid's there. And I think then he also realizes that leaving all his worldly possessions, basically, you know, a, a short walk away from a tournament <laughs> might not be the best idea. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a plot hole of where he frets about that later and you know gives specific instructions to protect them. The first time, he just kind of leaves all of his gear there as he's marching off to get the armor. And he's just hobbled his horses and like all of his, yeah, all of yeah. his worldly goods are like just It's a very, out. very honest world that they're in. We've got lots of reason to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> Much more stable than 100 years later. <laughs> but ma- main things Dunk does to get set up this tournament is first thing he needs to do, he needs to get armor. And the only way he can afford to do that, because he has only like three silvers and a chipped garnet to his name, is to essentially um, Sell horse. pawn his horse. Yeah. Of where he takes one of his three horses, the only one that has particular value that he can spare, and he pawns it, uh, well, he's hoping to essentially pawn it, to get the money necessary that he can buy a suit of armor that actually fits him. And I thought it was actually a little interesting why this horse would be worth so much. Um, I mean, be- this is his courser. This is his, this is regular, his, his master's main riding horse, right? But also, as far as I can tell, relatively old. Um, and so, yes, a main riding horse, but I guess I'm not sure about the economy <laughs> um, that is occurring here, but it seems to me that, that a horse that's probably on the tail end of its usefulness and a nice set of armor aren't quite sure. equivalent. Like, I, I would guess that armor would be a bit more expensive than, than a serviceable horse. And, and I would agree. And I think Doug even represents in some ways that he doesn't have that many options. His actual valuable horse is Thunder, and he can't get rid of Thunder. That's right. his war horse. His other horse is like Sweetfoot or something like that. Sweetfoot, which, yeah. Which has been the horse that he's riding, which is essentially a broken down nag. Yeah. Which isn't going to be worth anything. So this is the only horse he can sell. Practically in terms of value, though, I would assume a horse probably has better value than armor just because more people can use it for more things. And to be fair, the really broken down horse is the one that he immediately says, well, that horse has no value. Sweetfoot is still 
sprightly. Which is the horse that he sells again? I'm trying to remember. Is so it... he he's, he sells Sweetfoot. What's, remember the name Chestnut. of his? Chestnut. Chestnut. That's yeah. it. No, so Sweetfoot... Um, Sweetfoot still has some some right. spunk in yeah. her. Like she's she's doing okay. I think he's um, she's ru- she's ridden up and down the Seven Kingdoms, mm-hmm. but she's still a valuable enough horse to get yeah. some money out. Of. And he gets yeah. enough money that he can afford the armor with a certain amount of actually pretty good negotiation that Dunk does, mostly off page, but gets some value for his coin. Um, to also now get in now that he has the gear, he needs to get himself admitted to the tournament as a recognized knight so that he can actually be added to the list. This proves a lot harder than Dunk originally assumes it's going to be. Why is that? Uh, well, as we really mentioned earlier and went through a couple of times, is that he hasn't done much with Sir Arlen in the 10 years that he's been squiring. And so basically no one knows him other than, I believe, a Dondarian. Uh, he hopes that a Dondarian mm-hmm. might yeah, know him. Yeah, that, that should Manfred know. Dondarian would know him. Yeah. Um, and basically, he goes to enter his name and, and the, um, the privy counselor, whatever. The master of the yeah, game. The master of the, the game. The chancellor. Uh, yeah. Um, basically says, I have no idea who you are. I've never heard of you. Get somebody to vouch for you and then come back. Yeah. Um, which also seems like a lot more effort for the chancellor. I, I, I see no reason if, if somebody comes up and he has armor and a horse, it's just like, yeah, like whatever. Like, why, why would we care? Well, you got to keep the riffraff out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not. And, and it may in part be the case due to who just rode in right before Dunk asked this of where at the moment that Dunk has gone to the castle to go talk to the master of the horse, to sell his horse, to go talk to the master of the game, to the chancellor. The Targaryen dynasty rides into the rides into the main uh, castle stable. Yeah, of where well, everyone but Dunk immediately recognizes that these are the Targaryens coming in, and we start to meet a collection of who will be very central characters to the story. One of the first ones being Arya, who immediately sets a good tenor for what his relationship with Dunk is going to be. Of where he walks up and says, "Okay, tall dude wearing armor, sword, must be a stable boy. Take this." <laughs> I, I think the, the obvious assumption that everybody is going to have and should have been a running joke is if somebody's already in the stable before me, they're the stable boy. <laughs> this is how this world seems to work, really. <laughs> in stable, around stable, naked walking in front of it, all the same. Yeah. Um, um, no, nothing to indicate that they're a farrier, nothing to indicate you know that they may have you know some brushes for the horses. Just, oh, you're, you're in the vicinity, this is clearly your job. And up at the Targaryens that show up, this is not just, you know, sons of sons. This is not junior princes of the family. As we quickly, as we and Dunk quickly learn, the senior heirs to the throne are in present. Both the senior heir and all of his, and a couple of his immediate brothers and their children. This is a very major tournament that Dunk has just kind of wandered in, hoping to make his name for himself. Well, and I also kind of find it interesting, and it's probably my lack of knowledge of, of this era of A Song of Ice and Fire, is... It doesn't seem that there are many other similarly statured lords in the area mm-hmm. that, that are at this tournament. It's just like, you know, you basically walked into a pickup game with a bunch of NBA all-stars and it's just like, well, holy shit, what just happened? Like, yes, we clearly respect them, but like, this is not what the tournament should have been doing. I, I think in part because of that, some other high lords start to show up. I think this was meant to be a relatively minor game. They even comment that the particular award and the Queen of Love and Beauty and a lot of the fixtures of the tournament don't really necessarily measure up. A pretty ugly 13-year-old? I wasn't going to say that, but Dunk <laughs> essentially I says that. they just said not as fair as they might have claimed she was. <laughs> 
thank you for actually doing the original euphemism. Yeah. Um, but I think because they, so the, the, the news got out that the actual Targaryens are going to be there, a few senior lords come in. We mentioned some Lannisters. We mentioned some Baratheons. Some of the very senior lords are there for what is otherwise relatively insignificant Riverlands tournament that's happening. Yeah, and so I think you make a fair point that like the tenor of this tournament might have changed mm-hmm. at that moment. But all of a sudden, he certainly, whether he needed to or not to begin with, now he needs to verify yeah. that he is a knight. And this is a problem because like no one witnessed this um, knighting happen. And I think backing that up, too, is how flustered the Chancellor is about to have the Targaryen show up. It's yes. like, this was not part of the plan. You didn't know they were going to be there. But he's freaking out of it. But as you said, he needs verification now because this has begun to become a knightly and lordly tournament in a way it otherwise might not have been. Dunk only really has one lifeline in this regard. For all of his ten years of service, he apparently knows one guy that might know his... his well, that's his there. So That he knows that's yeah, there. Exactly. Okay. So, so he tries to track down uh, Lord Dundarian and say, Hey, do you remember me? I, you know, my knight and I were in the service of your father and we fought together in this massive battle. And Dundarian goes, nope. It's, it's been like eight years and I hired 3,000 of you. What do you really expect of me right now? <laughs> and also, presumably, if he did remember this person at all, it was, you know, four feet shorter and tailing along a, a you know, somewhat broken down warhorse and a knight that probably barely had his, his uh, device painted on his shield. So it, Even if he also knew Sir Owen, it verifies nothing about Dunk. He's like, okay, yeah. I know you had a knight you followed. What does this establish that you're allowed to compete right now? Exactly. And so he's just sort of waved off, and this basically sets up the... probably the major scene of the book, I would say, where... Uh, Dunk interacts with the princess. Ah, yes. Dunk goes back to the castle to, I I think essentially he's just aiming to beg, or maybe hoping that the Chancellor will give him another lifeline by which he can work with. Yeah. But, as is befitting this very fable-like story, Dunk just kind of walks into the main castle throne room to see several Targaryen princes in the act of a discussion that he kind of walks about halfway into. And this might be another thing that sort of, they were thrown off by the princes showing up, because they basically just take over the manor and kick out everybody that was in there, and it was like, well, if they had planned this, there would have been something set up for them, Mm -hmm. and a separate area, not where random hedge knights were trying to get into the lists, and so you would never have had this interaction if this was a more planned event. And also, just from a basic security standpoint, Doug essentially walks to the door and says, can I go in? And they say, sure, the, you know, crown prince is in there. Go and, say hi. Yeah, and the hand. Like, yeah. And, and, I was, like, real confused about this. Like, do we not have Secret Service? Like, where are the King's Guard right now? What is going on? It is a, a very ad hoc operation now that we're really talking about and discussing it. Um, but, but, yeah. Well, so I was just going to point out um, that it, it maybe doesn't particularly matter um, for the timeline but we did miss a scene when Dunk was going um, when Dunk was going out to try and get verification that he he mm-hmm. was a knight, um, oh. where he wanders the around. Yes, the Fossaways as well as puppeteer. the pu- the puppeteer. These yes. are two two important sets of characters to introduce here. Um, as Dunk is walking, oh, we'll introduce the Fossaways, I guess first. As Dunk is walking about, he sees several knights at practice for the tournament. One being a family which is essentially an. You know, there's varying qualities of symbols in this world, but apparently one family just decided to have an apple on a green background and call that their house symbol. Which, fine, good for them. And that is the Fossaway family. 
Uh, Dunk being, like, close to seven feet tall and a strapping individual attracts a certain degree of attention to have various knights want to practice with him. One of which is Stephen Fossilway, who was in the act of bludgeoning his cousin uh, while claiming to train him how to be a knight. Uh, what, what can we what, what quickly say about these characters before we uh, go into it? There's a bully. There, there is a bully. There and is a the, nice yeah, guy. And th- there's a nice guy. And, the ni- and it, interestingly, there, there's that scene that, that we come in on where the nice guy basically says, Hey, bully, why don't you pick on somebody your own size of this massive donk and just like, hey, why don't you just hit him a bunch? I'm tired of getting hit. I know, and Dunk is just like, nah. I have things to take care of. You know what it kind of reminded me of? is like when somebody's asking you to punish their kids for them. It's just like, I'm not part of this conversation you're having right now. Spencer, do you... Do you get asked to do that a lot? I've had like I've had like people of like kids freaking out in a store, and the, like the mother will point at someone else and say, You're, that, "That guy's getting very angry if you keep doing this." It's like assigning blame elsewhere. This has got to be a Florida thing. Oh, possibly. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we meet the Fossil Boys. One's one's kind of a, a very self-absorbed, confident his abilities jerk. The other one's much more humble, down to earth for what is apparently a noble individual. Pretty quickly starts to bond with Dunk over the course of this tale. Um, as for the puppet girl, who is very important in a variety of ways, what can we what, what can we say about her? I mean, we don't really get all that much information about her. Her name entirely is from Dunk's yes, it's entirely through um, Dunk's perspective. Um, but I think it, it's fair to say that he's immediately attracted to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe her name is Tans- Tansel. Tansel. Tansel too tall. Yeah. Um, and so she is um, a puppeteer who is um, with, I guess, like a mother or aunt or something. That's her aunt and uncle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, putting on these puppet shows uh, for entertainment kind of around the tournament. She's part of the sort of ad hoc economy that has sprung up around mm-hmm. around the tournament. Um, Dunk takes a liking to her. Mm-hmm. The gig economy, you might say. Yes. <laughs> you might. Um, Dunk takes a liking to her. He really does screw up his courage to sort of ask her out for a drink, which is a adorable yes. um she says no I, I love how awkward that exchange is would you like a drink uh we could have a sausage there was some good sausages i like the sausage can i tell you more about the sausage that i had and she's essentially like no really i'm working this yeah. is this is sort of a thing um so but they have this brief interaction mm-hmm. he sort of goes about his business at that point although he does meditate on the fact that although she might be known as too tall he, she is just the right size for her um for him yeah and Another thing I kind of like is that once he meets her for the first time, every other time he goes to the town, he just happens to see a puppet show. Uh, yeah, the man watches a lot of theater. <laughs> He's a cultured. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting and I didn't expect going into this book was there. There's a lot of uh, it's, there are a lot of pictures. There are mm-hmm. a lot of drawings yeah. to go along with uh, the book, and they're kind of creepy. Yeah, they're a little odd. Um, they're very stylized at best. Yeah, they're very stylized, and I guess the the reading of the story, I, that is the drawing of this puppeteer is definitely not what I had no. in No, in one mind. of the most... Yeah. Um, we, we, we've talked before that some of the characters, most of the drawings work pretty well in terms of setting out um, how the characters look in the world. Some just don't fit. Well, yeah. I mean, the puppeteer is described as being Dornish, dark of skin, very tall, very thin, not fitting in some ways the classical idea of beauty probably for this world, but the duck is instantly smitten with her. This drawing um, is very much the sort of hand span wasp 
waist and the, the, we could call her busty, I think, (laughs) um, in like a weird sort Sort of pose of supplication. And, you know, curly hair. It's definitely not the, what seems at least in my mind to have been described in. It wasn't, it was not fitting. Yeah. I didn't think. Yeah. One actually series of drawings these kind of remind me of is that um, some of the versions of the Christmas Carol I've read have had very similar kind of little sketches of the characters. This very much reminds me of that kind of style. Yeah. Of these quick, almost holiday-esque little sketches of these characters. Um, Some work, some don't. I think we've also commented that Egg looks remarkably waifish. In terms of his description, in terms of how he looks, yeah, he's yeah. a little toothpick in all of these. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I think that it also could be, you could interpret this as Dunk's recollection. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, you know, maybe later on, and and so he remembers her being, you know, thin and pretty, but the image that he now has of thin and pretty when he's around, what are often larger mm. lords and, and sometimes ladies, given the amount of money and food that they have access to, <laughs> might have very much changed since he actually met this girl. In particular, since she'll end up being, while the story ends, is his next heroic quest to go find her. So, yeah, she could very much become stylized in his own mind. So we got those two um, sort of vignettes as he is walking around, mm-hmm. um, as he is walking around the tournament grounds, trying to figure out how he's going to get somebody to tell anybody that he's a knight. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we go back to the scene where he is, he is wandered into (laughs) the middle of a Royal meeting, really. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not like just discussing how was your day? How'd you like the trip? They're going, we're missing Targaryen princess. (laughs) This is a pretty high level meeting that he just strolls in with no guards (laughs) at all. None, not, not even the Kingsguard are even in the room, really. Yeah, I, this is kind of like, you know, a Boy Scout troop going to visit the White House and one of, the, like, the big Boy Scouts ends up in the Situation Room. <laughs> and it's just like... There is an element of that, yes. Hey, guys, like, how's it going? And it's like, all right, you know, we have this, you know, serious threat to the government going on. And, uh, oh, hey, kid, what are you doing here? Yeah, and the entire room, the Secretary yeah. of Defense then turns to, let's talk to this Boy Scout for a moment, please. <laughs> And Egg goes back into his throat where I, I went, I went, I went to Lord Denarian and he didn't know me and I, I don't know what to do. I was under Sir Arlen, and, you know, and immediately the crown prince goes, oh, Sir Arlen, remember him. Yeah. He was a knight. He did this. He did this. He did this. With just a photographic recollection of events. I know, which like he's called out on pretty quickly. So, yeah. How like, the hell do you know this? <laughs> As to, no, yeah, yeah. To which he then offers every person I've ever fought against. I know their background. I know their experience. And then starts going into the stories that uh, Dunk's master told him mm-hmm. about his own prior exposure. That when Sir Arwen described fighting against the Prince of Dragonstone and breaking seven lances, three lances, nine. some number <laughs> nine. of lances, yeah. Yeah. seven lances, yeah, yeah. yeah. on one side, oh, yeah. right. one version. Right. That's what, yeah. <laughs> that it, 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 again, it, it befits the fable nature of the story of where he's gone begging and has arrived in front of the, the king of the realm. The but arguably the most powerful person in the realm, he's both hand, he's the crown prince, who then takes the time to speak for him and endorse him and lift <laughs> him up as a knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whereas his own account of his knighting is basically being knighted by a dying guy on a rain-soaked hill, this is in many ways a much more actual knighting. Of where literally the crown prince has taken him up and acknowledged his heraldry, has acknowledged his background, and quizzes him about his vows and the nature of who he is. And he is then endorsed as a knight by the realm. 
and becomes part of the tournament as a result. Yeah, and it, I also think it was interesting because you can clearly have like the image of the chancellor being like, "This is not what I signed <laughs> up for." And it's like, "Yes, I guess I'm going to enter his name to the list," but. But no, this is not how this should have happened. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, because it's kind of important, what are they in the middle of discussing as part of this situation room meeting? That uh, two of the sons of Makar. Uh, yeah, the I think I think right now there's like four main brothers of the king. Of where there's the crown prince, there's two that don't really matter, and then there's the youngest Makar. Right. Who has a variety of children in his own right, two of which have gone AWOL. Yes. So so one of which is a commensurate drunkard and um, is more likely to sit a whore than a horse. Mm-hmm. Have we maybe met a drunken lord randomly previously in this tale that, that could that, all match silly. that description of no. events? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not at all. Mm. Ignore, ignore that. Um, <laughs> and then then basically the, the younger brother that, that's sort of tagging along. Who is notably not described in the same way as the drunkenness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, please. And then another son, Arian, who we have met from the early days. Who is sadly the only one of the various sons of Makar that have made the tournament so yes. far. Yeah, and so uh, apparently they've, they were hoping that a bunch of the princes would sit as champions and sort of prove their worth. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of thought was interesting because presumably they're maybe they're using this as a stepping stone to sort of get the the princes used to participating in what would be their lordly duties and show off what they hope is their prowess in battle. There's an element of almost like impromptu bar mitzvah associated with this, of where they're being now presented to the world to be shown as men, to occupy society. And so to do that, they are going to assume the role of champions in this tournament, the few that have arrived. So they can represent to the world what they're capable of and the values of chivalric and medieval society that they stand for and represent. So is having champions like this a thing that would happen where, you know, a a lady's favor would be tied onto the arm of a knight? I mean, I know it's well referenced in literature, but... I mean, my understanding is that it it is, um, but, I I mean, that understanding mostly comes through sort of representations in literature, so... And also, like, Renaissance fans. And our fact-checker walked away. (laughs) Yeah, so so we've lost our fact-checker, so we can't do any of that, but let's assume that this is a thing. It's yeah. certainly a cultural trope, if nothing else. It's yeah. become a thing for itself, even if it didn't happen in history. But as a result of now becoming part of the tournament, as a result of Egg now being part, his squire in the tournament, we get to see a bit of the tournament now taking place. As Dunk has decided that he's going to compete on the third day of the tournament, when a lot of the people have been knocked out and there may be lesser individuals to fight or, or tired or worn out from the process. A surprisingly sensible thing to have just sort of come upon where it's just like, you know, I just need to get one. And it's like, okay, well, you know, on the third day, everybody's going to be tired out and it's less likely that you're going to have like the major uh, champions and, and the, the people that have impressive prowess I'm still sitting I'm interested that there. he's allowed to make that decision though like why wouldn't it be a sort of rule that everybody has to start from the beginning it's a very interestingly structured tournament for how rigorously they're apparently predicting who can be on the list Mm -hmm. because it seems like there's six guys and anyone who wants to can walk up and challenge one of those guys at any point yeah including like immediately after that guy just fought another guy um and i think that this sort of might have to do with his understanding of like what's going on here because i presume this is a little bit more of political machinations as well as monetary value of fighting any given person because if you're fighting 
a prince of the realm and you capture his armor, you're going to be demanding a slightly different sum than Sir Arlen Pennytree. Yeah. And so in, instead of just having a, I just need to beat one person, everybody else is like, all right, well, I don't really want to tilt against you know, a lord that's like right next to where I live because that might start something. And mm-hmm. so it's... And I'd rather win a smaller sum of money, so I'm going to choose this person. A lot more is going to go into it if that he knows, if they know the banners, how well this person fights, and all this other stuff. Whereas Dunk's just kind of like, all right, well, I got to hit somebody. <laughs> Though we see here, like we talked about in terms of picking the day of the tournament, of the haggling they did for his armor, we see several elements that Dunk is a bit overly critical of his own abilities and his own intelligence. Before he immediately recognizes what kind of tournament this is and goes to the other kinds of tournaments that could have been. And then he very carefully observes each of the champions to try to decide, okay, I'm going to have to fight one of these guys on day three. Who is the weak link I can hit? Yeah, so Dunk takes Egg to the first day of the tournament with him to watch um, to watch the jousting matches. On, on his shoulders. Well, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> He's tired of staring at asses, I think he says. Indeed. Yes. Um, and so we have this sort of first day of the tournament that they that they watch. Um, and Egg is very into Ooh, yeah. this tournament. Including, and I think this is the main point of the tournament to focus on for this stage, uh, when Arian chooses to participate in this tournament. Of where Egg, who's already been cheering for various lords, suddenly just starts belting at the top of his lungs with respect to a Targaryen prince. Kill him! Well... At least from Dunk's perspective, he doesn't know which of the knights he's yes. talking yeah. about, but he is talking about one of them in in this match. And neither of them really makes sense to Dunk. No. It would just no. be like, kill him, and it's like, all right, well, that's that's interesting. He's into uh, this now. Settle, yeah. settle down, kid. Yeah, settle down. And we, we, we might need to take you off my shoulders. I don't want to be associated <laughs> with that. Have you been sipping ale while yeah. I've been paying attention? <laughs> um, but Arian, the one, one few Targaryen princes we've gotten to really meet, does not patri- uh, uh, engage himself in an honorably knightly fashion over the course of his role in the tournament. Uh, in fact, he does what is so dishonorable, most people in the crowd, including Dunk, can't believe it's happening. And they certainly are not willing to admit, even to themselves, that it was intentional right. once yeah. they figure out what has happened. So, so, so Arian, on a charge, um, basically... Instead of putting his lance into the opposing knight's shield or armor, which is, you know, a little bit more questionable because pretty much in all of these jousts, the sort of goal is to make a spectacle. And for the most part, that's hitting the opposite knight's shield and having your lances explode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you do that in a very ritualized manner until somebody is unhorsed or something else happens. Until essentially someone yields. It's very much a chivalrous yes uh method about going about this and instead of doing that um arian basically puts his lance to the other knight's horse and there is a picture of that which was a little more graphic yeah pictures. i mean really let's go to that one real quick um yeah that, that was sort of a little bit more impressive that that this is what they're uh looking to show their readers um and so the the um the joust is it what what's it called? It's a it's a jousting pole, a lance. A lance. lance. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> like no, it's just gone. Yeah, yeah, turning um, lance. Yeah, so the lance actually goes um, in the gap of the breastplate of the horse's armor, mm-hmm. um, and then straight through its neck and out the other side. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. And I think the picture's well done because it 
previously the pictures have been very whimsical, they've been very stylized, they've been very much almost like the hallmark version of Westeros. And then suddenly we've got a horse being pierced right through the yeah. back. And we, the horror of everybody around it is also depicted. Right. We feel the same thing through this picture that the characters do. Because this suddenly just darkens the overall nature of this story immediately and sets the story on what's going to be a darker path from here. And, I mean, I think this might be a little bit of foreshadowing because... Dunk says that, you know, the screams of the horse were very human. Yeah. And, you know, maybe foreshadowing some of the pain that some Targaryen princes might cause in the future. Um, but but this is sort of where we see Egg come up with knowledge that doesn't seem appropriate to what he purports to be. Where he's insistent that this was on purpose. He's also very commonly naming the heraldry of every single knight in the tournament as they're going. Yeah, information he, about them, their fighting styles, you, you yeah. know, weaknesses. Oh yeah, he, he's, he's the Lord of Highgarden, you don't want to fight him. It's like, how the hell do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after we see this event occur, the basically the, the tournament ends. No one really wants to keep going with the festivities after this has happened. Yeah. For the day, it's ended for the day, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, from I from there we essentially go to the evening where he goes to see the puppet girl again. He wanders back to get his armor and negotiate a few aspects of that deal. Uh, this time he gives her a copper because he was basically very cash bored the first time he went out, and so now he wants to uh, make up for that. And uh, I don't know. A whole copper. He, he's not yeah. gonna. <laughs> he's not gonna toss her any sausage this time, but but can at least. I mean, but I think he But but he does have a little bit more of an interaction with her, and she does seem to uh, appreciate the gesture and um, appreciate him in some way. But he's yeah. still a little unsure whether it's that he's bringing coin this time. Um, and there, there's this very weird association with him and paying women for their affections. And he seems very cognizant of that for... He, he seems very cognizant of it and very resistant to it also in some ways too. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if that showed up sometime in his past that we don't really know about. Because the only other story that we get was basically Sir Arlen decided that when he was a young teenager that, you know, he should become a man and, and you know... Arlen had a little bit more coin, I'm going to buy you a whore, and, you know, you're going to do your thing, and promptly forgot about it, but that seemed to be somewhat traumatizing to Dunk that this happened, and he didn't really want a part of it, but, you know, if this was his nightly training, then, you know, I guess I'll go along with it. Maybe even traumatizing because he had conflicting views on it, too, because the way Dunk phrases it is that he was too embarrassed to remind him in the morning. Yeah. So clearly Dunk had some... Thoughts going in both directions on the subject of yes. this, and he still does to this day. But he had been taught how to kiss by a tavern wench, so so he had that going for him. And so we are a little off on the timeline of sort of when, at which points he meets the puppet puppeteer. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, but by the time he actually goes to watch the first day of the tourney, he has had all of these interactions with with the puppeteer, mm -hmm. okay. um, including okay. including um, he is told when. Um, when um the, by, the, by the prince is his own device yes mm -hmm. yeah so um when they find out that he is not um he is not sir arlen's son or mm -hmm. related to him he needs his own sigil he needs or not sigil That's but he right. needs his own device device yeah. his own um, and so his shield tree. needs to be repainted with something else it can't be the winged chalice and egg basically gives him his heraldic 
symbols. Mm-hmm. I love the interaction too because it's something I would totally do. Of where he walks up to the girl and says, "Hi, can you paint this for me? You know, I need I need my own sickle drip." It's like, "Oh, what would you like?" I didn't think this far in advance. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, I can't really help you with that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what to do here. I, I paint puppets. And, and so, and so Egg, very, being very much uh, playing a certain role in this Don Quixote story, just starts feeding him lines to keep going on with this. Um, and he puts together what is the now symbol of his knighthood, which is essentially his pavilion under the tree with a notably a, shooting star going yes. past. Yes. Although he does Regret specifically that. say, he regrets that, and he specifically calls it a falling star, yeah. um, given how events ensue. So anyway, I just wanted yeah. to point out that that yeah. was, like, that it's had already too. happened, yeah. um, because once they end, um, once they leave the first day of the tourney, then they start going um, towards the meal and the feast and, yeah. and all of that. I think he gets, on his way, he gets grabbed by uh, Raymond Fossway, mm-hmm. and they, like... Rimfossil is a really friendly guy, actually wants to get to know Dunk, and he keeps inviting him to the tournament. And Dunk really awkwardly try, is trying to say no until Egg basically just goes, I'll care for everything, you go. Yeah, and it's, it's also funny that, that he says, I have things to take care of, and everybody that, that, yeah, yes, matters. matters. Yeah, yes. matters to take care of, and everybody that he meets is like, You're a hedge knight. You don't have <laughs> what matters. What shit do you have to do? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he goes to talk with Raymond, and they share a nice little chat about who's going to challenge what, about what the plans are for the tourney. And then Egg bursts into the room. And Egg is like, come quick, come quick, he's hurting her. Mm-hmm. They run out. They run down towards the center of the, of, of the pavilion square, and they find Arian Brightflame continuing to be the person that we know Arian to be. For he has seized the puppet girl around the hands, apparently in a fence that a dragon appears and doesn't win the battle that she's depicting. Like, this oh. is a personal assault, insult to the, to the Targaryen dynasty. I mean, I think the puppet dragon gets its head cut off, and there's yes. red sadus splurting which, which had been, I think even the crown prince says, was probably not, not the best thing to depict. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But it, it's also sort of said that, like, I mean, Arian is a little office rocker. Oh, um, sure. And that he thinks that he himself is a dragon oh, yeah. at various points. And so this was like an actual personal, yeah. personal offense mm-hmm. um, in his in his head. Oh, anyway. Yeah. And yeah. So I think something to note is that there are a couple of hallmarks, I would say, of the Targaryen line. Um, in several different characters. Right. And so there, there are two things that I'd say visually mark Targaryens, which is purple eyes and silvery blonde hair. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of personality, there's a strain of madness yeah. that is common to the Targaryen line. Gods flip a coin. Yep. And so there are Targaryens that are impressive battle leaders, it seems, mm-hmm. and then ones that are batshit crazy. I think it's important to describe in some ways as even some of the Targaryens look. Because I think it says something about aspects of their character. Of where Arian fits all of the physical traits of a Targaryen. He looks the prince. The moment that he walks into a room, Duncan immediately goes, that is a Targaryen prince. He also then embodies all of the negative features that we don't want in this medieval society to be lording over us. He is vain. He is unprincipled. He is violent. He is borderline unstable insane in many ways. Uh, he's not just merely lording his position. He's un- not in control of himself about it. Whereas, say, um, ba- Baylor, the crown mm-hmm. prince, yep. uh, looks nothing of a Targaryen. 
He takes after his mother's family. He is he has Dornish features. He has a Dornish cast. He has a nose that's been broken in several places. He's unassuming other than that he is large, but he immediately emanates an aura of command. Every scene we have of him, he is an immediate awareness of the, of, of the people around him. Events taking place insignificantly hundreds of, of dozens of years in the past and has a, a nuanced sense of care and empathy for everyone around him that... Does, he, while he does not fit the physical mantle of his house, he embodies all the features that people would hope for in a Targaryen king, making the ultimate resolution to this story all the more tragic. Um, so basically, getting back to, to the plot, we have Arian that's breaking the hands of this puppeteer and basically destroying her livelihood because, you know, without her hands, her, the, the deafness of her hands mm -hmm. are basically what, what are, is allowing her and, and her family to make some coin. Mm -hmm. And this incenses Dunk. Well, we, he loses his mind. I mean, sometimes we get a, a, sometimes we'll get a, like a little delay of Dunk describes what his thought process is. Here, it notably just jumps to, this is happening, and now Dunk is punching him in the face. Yeah, and immediately takes him down. This is like a one-shot, a headshot. He's down immediately, and Dunk is kicking him in in the stomach. I mean, this is where we get back to sort of Dunk of Flea Bottom. Oh, I mean, this yeah. is... Uh, and, yeah. The sword is gone, the dagger is gone, no, no. The, everything yeah. is gone. It is just, I need to hit you hard repeatedly now. and and then four or five guys basically pile on top of him and he, he just got yeah. start tossing a few of them yeah. yeah and until they sort of swarm him down it is very much a this crown prince might not survive this encounter if he didn't have heavy backup right. well and the heavy backup that he had wasn't really heavy backup which is also kind of funny it's just like all of these princes are just sort of wandering about yeah. it's him and three guys that are breaking the puppets that's yeah. basically the scene we have in front of us um, so Dunk's in a bad place, and he finally just has his thought process of, oh, I could die right now. They're yep. going to take all my teeth at a minimum, and then who knows what happens. Um, and he also says who he is and how Arian knows him, which is kind of funny. It's just like, yeah. oh, I just, like, beat the crap out of Crown Prince. Oh, if you didn't forget about me, let me remind you where our interactions were before this. <laughs> you thought I was a stable boy. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Um... Yeah, and so you, as we might imagine, Arian, Arian does not like take well mm -mm. to this situation. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um, we might say, and just immediately calls for blood. Yeah, <laughs> and teeth, and teeth yeah. specifically. Yes. Oh, yeah. definitely teeth. You yes. loosen my tooth, I'm going to break all of yours. Yes. However, a little piping voice intrudes on this particular moment of violence, of where Egg now unmasks himself for what he actually is. Arian's younger brother, Makor's youngest of his line, a Targaryen prince of the line. Which was also really funny because he basically does this by saying, stop, you can't do this, and Dunk going like, what are you doing, <laughs> little boy? Run! Yeah. And I also like that, you know, no one's really ever really seen this kid before. It's not like there's, you know, a visual wreck. There's not CNN to see what the president looks like at all times. Yeah. But Egg walks in and says, everybody stop. And everybody just kind of goes, we're out. This yep. kid looks vaguely targaryen -y. We're stopping until we have further further update on these well, events. and has the balls to walk in and say that. I mean, that's not a True, small... yeah. And, and yeah. maybe <laughs> if... Arian is there, too. Like, yeah. it is known. No, yeah, it yeah. is known what's and, going and on. If those are his guards, then they, they've probably they encountered... Yeah. That's true. His yeah. guards probably yeah. do know. Um, yeah, so Egg pops in, mm -hmm. um, demands that this end immediately, mm -hmm. um, which it d does. Yeah. Um, and and we also sort of get why Egg is bald, which is, 
I don't want to look like a Targaryen because you are awful. Yeah. I, I cut it off, brother. I didn't want to look like you. Which, coming from, you know, an, like a seven-year-old is, is pretty damning. I also like that Arian's first question is, what happened to your hair? <laughs> Not like, hey, you've been missing for yeah. several days. Where have you been? But, what did you do with your hair? But I also Priorities. I give two craps about. Yeah. Yeah. But the other well, side of it is... If Arian's so caught up with being the dragon and being a Targaryen, it probably baffles him why anybody would try and hide it. Oh, right. And, and yeah. it's basically one of the main symbols of their line is this super weird hair. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, one of the inheritors of this would just get rid of it and try and go uh, unrecognized is probably completely outside of what Arian understands of the world. To him. Yeah. yeah. So we end up in the next scene just immediately with Dunk in a sort of dungeon jail right. cell. As you talked about, we jump plot points for a lot of this. Yeah. That... It's clear that this is the second day of the tourney because yeah. it says it's the second day <laughs> yeah. of the tourney. Yeah. But it also, like, the way it's discussed, it feels like he's been down there for much longer than, mm. like, the clear overnight right. that this would have been. Yeah. Um, so he is sort of just hanging out in the cell, ruminating on life. This situation that he has found himself in. Life but and also his decisions. Trying to listen to the tourney. He's like, ooh, yeah. it's exciting yeah. out there. I really want to hear. And it's just like, you're not worried about your possible impending doom. You just really want to hear those horses crash at each other. Oh, okay. He, yep. he starts getting very philosophical and nostalgic because it's really hit him like a ton of bricks that, oh, I punched a Targaryen prince. Probably this doesn't end well for me. Yeah. And so he thinks about his decisions, about what he did, what he did. He thinks about various stories that Sir Arlen told him, including one about a hedge knight is the truest knight. that we, cause They embody the actual virtues. They remember what it is to be a knight. And he's just kind of reassuring himself with this about whatever else comes, I am a hedge knight. I am a knight. Kind of. He's also second-guessing himself about what will happen if he dies as well. Yeah. About how he'll bird, what he'll mean in the end. And so at some point, once again, Egg pops in. Although looking, like, specifically more royal than he had yeah. at yeah. any point. Like, he's, he's done a, he's done a costume change. Exactly. We're at intermission. He's come back. And now, yeah, now he is very much the sort of... Um, Targaryen... Oh, yeah. And, and, tiny one. And this is not the scene that truly really embodies either, again... What a different world this is from an evil standpoint of where they can't even imagine the idea that a peasant would be a threat to a, tar- to a Targaryen prince. But they walk in, Egg with like two guards, and then Egg just turns to the guards and says, okay, you can leave now. And they just kind of close the door with, with the Targaryen prince alone with the guy that just beat the crap out of a Targaryen prince. Yeah. And I also like the picture here because, you know, it, it's, it's very, you can tell the difference of the quality of clothes that they're wearing, and it's so stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... so the picture is um, of Dunk sort of sitting at this table, um, and Egg has come in looking sort of sheepish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Egg is still bald, has his head sort of bowed forward, um, but he is, as you said, in this doublet and hose. And yeah, like... and, 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 you know, curly-toed shoes yeah. and sort mm-hmm. of the whole nine yards. And the other thing that I think that is interesting is... A lot of the other imagery that we've had of Dunk is not of his entire body in relation to something that you understand his size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here, it's he's clearly sitting, you know, sort of in a, a chair and at a table that would be presumably normal size, and he's uncomfortable, and he's, like, squeezing into it. Mm-hmm. And the 
a barred window that would presumably people would look up out of it is at his head level sitting down I mean, he looks in this picture like me sitting at like a kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. And this right. is Fifa Fofum. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, Egg comes. Egg has also come to. Well, Egg has come to this room to apologize to Doug, presumably because he also feels bad, and also because he's been specifically ordered to apologize for what has happened. Yeah, which is kind of interesting that that's one of the things that he's tasked with. Um, I think that at least his. They're trying to not make the same mistakes that they might have made with Arion, um, with with uh, Egg. Well, he's not ordered by Makar. He's ordered by Baylor. Right, but and that might be one of the reasons yeah. that it's like, all right, you know, we can't have this continuing in our line. Like, we, this is not the face that we want to show to the world. And Dunk's not that pissed at Egg about essentially signing his death warrant. He basically thinks to himself, and almost a moment of empathy that. You know, you lied to me. You obscured who you were. I know what that is. I, what is the exact line? I know what it is to tell a monstrous lie for something you wanted. It's, it's, a, it's a good line. Let me find it. Yeah, I mean, in this space, there's a lot of um, just discussion about kind of what, A, what it means to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but also specifically, um, this lying about your identity and who you are, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I got This is exact. I didn't care if Darian fought or not, but I wanted to be somebody's squire. I'm sorry, sir. I truly am. Dunk looked at him thoughtfully. He knew what it was. You knew what it was like to want something so badly that you would tell a monstrous lie just to get near it. It's an interesting moment of empathy between the two because, again, despite now learning that Egg is indeed a Targaryen prince, he's still keeping in the same mindset of, "I have a responsibility to this kid." I have responsibility to, in some ways, give him the same things or treat him in the same way that Sir Arwen treated me. And that also might be, this is the only thing that I can do as a knight, hmm. which is to hold up the standards that, that I believe are important. Well, Egg has come to actually get Dunk and apparently leads Dunk solo through the castle to the crown prince. <laughs> Again, very different world than we live in. Um, but... Impressive due process. Impressive? Oh, yeah. It's nice to be able to go immediately to the present to get your crime reviewed. Yeah, and and so they basically walk in, and uh, I, there's a little bit before that, um, because they sort of are, are like, you know, how good a knight are you? and, and that, that, That's what he has then with uh, what he's talking with the crown prince. So. Yeah. But pretty much the opening question that he asks him is, how good a knight are you? Which Dunk doesn't really get, and he just kind of answers, well, you know, Sir Arlen taught me stuff. Which doesn't reassure the crown prince with this question. Yeah, I mean, the crown prince is trying to lead him somewhere, and he's being dunk the lunk, thick as a castle wall. And basically, the crown prince tells him, like, all right, well, you can either lose a hand and a foot, or you can try a trial by combat and do your best. Like, mm-hmm. good luck. I, you know, I think this is going to be the best way for, for you to go about things. And, you know, you have size and you are honorable, I, but I can't let you off for beating the crap out of uh, the royal blood. Right. Like, but... And he warns him essentially that... Um, is, does he warn him that there's going to be a melee or does he warn him that he's going to be punished? No, he just no, warns he just, him... Yeah, he says he's going to be punished in some way, but there is another option, right. yeah. which would be a trial by combat. Right. right. You can either, you know, choose a trial by combat where you might die or, you know, bad things. Like, you're, you're basically not going to survive this as a knight. Sure. And it's interesting as well that, you know, it's his nephew that just got 
beat in right mm-hmm. now. But his immediate response is, oh, if this goes to trial, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to protect you. I'm going to do what I can to try to minimize the punishment. But I can only go so far. Right. There's a, this has become a symbolic thing that you attack a Targaryen prince. Regardless of... I think he even says, if I was in the same circumstances, I probably would have done the same thing. But I'm the crown prince. Yeah, I'm a fellow I can Targaryen. Do that. Exactly. You know, you it, can't. Right. And so Dunk, it's it's implied that Dunk is going to choose trial by combat anyway. Yeah. Um, at which point, Arion demands not a one-on-one trial by combat, um, but a trial of seven. Which they almost have to double check because it's something that has existed in their history and their culture. It's an incredible symbolic event, but it hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of one of those things that, you know, someone dug up in a law book and said, oh, there's this little nugget. Have you heard of this one? Which, um, which almost, I think, just further reflects Arian's immaturity, that he's just viewing this as his own holy trial. He's going to harken back to the stories of old when the Andals first arrived in Westeros and brought these customs with him. Or he's afraid to fight Dunk Solo. Um, yeah, little column A, little column B. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, but the, he probably could have chosen a champion. He probably could have. And, you know, he probably could have chosen one of the Kingsguard to fight Dunk and basically be done with it. I think this is sort of his ego saying, I want this to be a spectacle. Yeah, I want people to talk about this for years afterwards. And not only that, but I would figure that he probably assumes that he has the favors of the gods on his side. And so he's like, if I have a trial of seven, they're going to put their blessing upon us. It's it's notable too that he did, that of how he tries to cover this too. Whatever his motivations are, his cover is oh you know my other brother Darian's been hurt by this too. That because Darian apparently the drunken brother that was telling prophecy apparently painted a bit of a tale for what happened for why he and Egg got missing. Exactly, basically that they were accosted by a robber knight and you know that the, this robber knight you know stole away a crown prince and and so this man has not only assa- assaulted the royal line but abducted one of the royal line and and is a threat to the kingdom. Oh yeah. Um, this needs to be a holy condemnation that's put upon him. Exactly, now. which Darren sort of immediately withdraws and is like, "Yeah, I was just making shit up. I was drunk. Sorry, was like, yeah. needed cover." Like my 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 dad really doesn't like that I get drunk, so I had to say something. Yeah, but because they picked this kind of holy event, this very ritual style of combat, Dunk now has rights that he otherwise wouldn't have. Where Dunk now has the right to go out and find six people that are willing to fight Targaryen princes with him. Well, he, he, has he, has he has to. He has to, otherwise he loses the right. right. Yeah. It, is, it is a requirement of this, which I think is also part of the reason that um, that Arian chooses this as well, because he knows that Dunk doesn't know anyone. That's a good point. Right. And he, I mean, basically, he knows no one. Yeah. yeah. He tried to lawyer him out of the this contest as like, well. This mm-hmm. is going to cost you too much. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Like, you, there's no way you can do this. Yeah. Their gods are just going to judge you guilty because nobody knows you. So, Dunk leaves pretty with, downtrodden yeah, yeah no real hope i mean he knows he doesn't know anybody um he knows he also assumes that nobody is going to like want to be involved in this fight essentially against... willing to die for him yes or his, yeah his prior actions the ability you couldn't get anybody to confirm he was a knight mm-hmm. right now i want you to help fight the rulers of the realm with me yeah yeah which Please i i also think is a yeah, yeah. <laughs> might essentially be hoisted, hoisted on his own petard with Arian because he basically decided that this thing was going to be a spectacle, something mm. that would be talked about for generations. Mm. And so I'm guessing that some of the people that eventually do come to Dunk's aid are just like, this is a notable moment in history. 
I'm going to be in that story. Mm-hmm. And Dunk actually does eventually put together a coalition of people, but... Uh, well, yeah, yeah, so he leaves and um, immediately runs into good old Raymond Fossaway. Who yes. is eager to help. Yeah, well, is eager to find out what happened. Oh, yeah, He's like, Details well, first. <laughs> yeah. You have your hand, you have your foot. I'm assuming it's a trial by combat. Yeah. And yeah. Dunk is essentially like, well... Technically. Sort of. <laughs> Which is basically the same conversation he has with Steely Pate, too. Yeah. You're yeah. still alive? Mm-hmm. Okay, trial by combat. Yeah. Let's get you ready. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically, a lot of people start bending to his cause because he has shown nobility. But mm-hmm. each one has their own different motivations. Where the first ones he gets is Stefan Fossilvoy because, oh, their people are going to talk about this one. Yeah. And Stefan volunteers to go out and find his his friends right. to which, join the cause, which Raymond is sort of like, like mm. and, and, don't and, count yeah, on this. And Stefan <laughs> basically just names all of the most important and yeah. most able-bodied uh, fighters there, and Raymond's like, mm, he's heard of no. them. Yeah, yeah. They are vaguely they aware of each other's existence. Heard of yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but also, like, silly Pate just basically really helps him out too. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I don't know what I'm, why I'm doing this. This is such a poor idea, but like, I'm just going to ready you for battle. Right. Here's mm-hmm. your, I proved your shield, it's got a little heraldry on it, get make sure your armor's in order. I'm going to even walk you to the tournament now. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a sort of bellwether as well, because as he's walking to the tournament, like all of the, co- all of the common people are coming up to him mm-hmm. um, and essentially wishing him luck, wishing him good fortune, um, thanking him. Yeah. for his nobility in that moment. And I loved uh, Dunk's emotional response to it, because it again reflects just the inherent self-doubt that's wrapped up in Dunk's character, because he sees all these common people here, and his default thought is, they've come to see me die. Yeah. yeah. And as they all start greeting him, and wishing him well, kissing him on the cheek to endorse him for this tournament, he has to even turn to Steely Payton and ask, why are they doing this? And then, I think one of the foundational lines of the book is Steely Payton responding, They've come to they've come to cheer for a knight who remembered his vows. Yeah, um, and so we kind of get we are like right on the edge of this thing supposed to be starting, um, but where he doesn't quite have his he doesn't have his team fielded. Yeah, entirely. <laughs> he has a couple of people now that have sort of pledged to him, and he's got like three people that just are pissed off at the Targaryen prince and so volunteered right. help. Yeah, um, and then he ends up with six, including himself, but that is. Assuming with both that with both, that, assuming that he has both fossilways. Well, assu- just assuming he has Stefan, because he hasn't. Uh, Raymond hasn't. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Right. No. So assuming that he has Stefan, um, who comes over. Well, he, he looks at his opponents and sees yeah. that they only have six too, yes. which right. notably include members of the friggin' Kingsguard and Makor yes. himself. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's an impressive array of people. Yes, but, he's but like, he only has six. He's like, yeah. oh, well, if it's six on six, does it push? Do we stop? Yeah. What, what happens now? Yeah. Do we just go with six and and then? Stefan Fossaway says, oh, no, they have seven. I am their seven. Um, but good luck. Yeah. Oh, I, I love his line, too, of where it's like, you, but you swore. It's like, well, I'm sure I meant it at the time. <laughs> that was helpful. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Cool. Got it. Um, and so Stefan wanders over um, to the other side, and then Dunk is left with Five, five, including right. himself. Which, and, which is not... None of these people are people that Dunk brought. He's really relying on his friends here. Yes. Right. Of where three people have showed up because essentially they're pissed off at Arian and Raymond Fossway want to go to yes. them for that reason. And, and so, yeah. And the friggin' laughing Storm Baratheon also shows up because Egg ran into his room and poured a glass of wine on his head. Get up, yeah. bitch. <laughs> yeah. Egg's very persuasive. So, um, good old... Like, the real MVP, Raymond Fossaway, mm. 
volunteers to be knighted um, so that he can fight as yeah. the Demands sixth. it. Demands yeah. that he be knighted. From, um, from Dunk. Yeah. Yes. Um, Dunk gets a little distracted. Uh, so... Yeah. <laughs> And goes off elsewhere. Yeah. Um, to try to essentially, so Raymond matters does to take care. Of he has yeah. matters to take care. Of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't, can't knight you yet. Matters. Brb. Hedge knight stuff. Yes. So um, Raymond is knighted by one of the other knights. I can't remember who ends up knighting him, but he does become a knight mm-hmm. in this moment. Um, but Dunk goes over to say, "Well, we only have six, but we'll fight. We'll fight six on seven. Yeah. Um, and they say, and then, "Well, no, 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 no." no, no. You have to have seven. Rules of ritual you demand. You need seven. Um, at which point, um, interstage left. Well, which point, Doug tries to rally the crowd. Oh, that's yeah. right. Oh, yes. He beseeches the crowd. He, he does. He, so he goes Impressive. up to Dundarian yeah. and says, look, you know, I understand that you didn't want to vouch for me as a knight, but, you know, can you fight by my side? Which is kind mm-hmm. of like a weird, like, you didn't want to do this minor thing. How about you maybe die? Yeah. yeah. So you couldn't give me the five dollars I needed for parking, but yeah, could you pay my rent? That'd yeah. be great. Thanks. It, um, it, it's an impressive speech from Dunk, though, because he just goes out and it simply tries to shame the crowd into action, shame someone into helping serving him. Yeah. Like, you knew this man that I was under. He served you. I fought. I mean, yeah, and but he's also he was a shrinking violet up until this point where he's just like, I'm just going right. to beseech the crowd. I mean, I imagined it as a very gladiator scene, Oh yeah. You know, just trying to get somebody from the crowd, like, come Motivated. on. Are you, you not ashamed? Are you not entertained? Well, <laughs> and in some ways, he's directly trying to play off what Steela Pate already told him. Of. The reason yeah. a lot of these people are here is that it is so novel to see a knight just do something that was right. Even if it was dumb, but because it was the actual right thing to do. And he focuses on that to the crowd of where, I did the right thing right here. I helped someone. Will no one help me now? And as you were saying... So then, interstage left. (laughs) Sorry. A little ahead of myself. Interstage left. In some ways, the mystery black knight. Yeah, no, very much so. Um, Because we also have a sort of... um, A masked uh, crusader here. A masked savior. um, But another sort of, like, weird moment of, like... The person that we think someone is is not the person who they are. Right. right? If there's a running theme in these books, it's that appearances do not match match the actual person. Yeah. And it's also interesting because this is very much the balance to the King's Guard in in so many ways. So, many so, ways. so the King's Guard um, are. Can we described... pause for just a second and say who the knight is before we keep talking? Yeah, about... yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh no. So the knight he originally thinks is one of the princes. It's Valar because it's it he's got Valar's armor. Yes. Yeah. But in reality. It's the friggin' crown prince. Yeah. Yes, Baylor. Who's, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. who's put on his son's armor to fight in this tournament. And then it is immediate pandemonium. Of yeah. where no one saw this coming. Yeah, including exactly. Makor and gang and Kingsguard. Yeah, and presumably Valor knew at this point. Because but pretty <laughs> he much no one else. Yeah. His, <laughs> yeah. his He's just looking around his room going, Where, where's my armor now? <laughs> um, but, but so this is really the balance to the Kingsguard. So the Kingsguard are described as knights that are all in white. They have a white shield. They have a white cloak. They have white armor. Everything is stark white. Um, and they were balanced out by this knight that shows up in all black armor Mm -hmm. and it's interesting also that usually we sort of think uh, the good guys are the ones in white Mm -hmm. and here this is flipping it on its head a little bit where it's the black knight that, that really is 
the savior right. of, of Dunk, of the story of knighthood. And, and you described Arian as rules-lowering this game. Crown Prince is rules rules lowering this to no end in terms of his appearance the, in this yeah, tournament. Yeah, I would say I would say you know the the Crown Prince is sort of the DM going like you thought you had me uh uh uh, uh, uh I'm bringing you know rain of fire upon your head this is yeah. not going to work and it's like every decision that Arion made was countered by Baylor showing up because basically the Kingsguard can't fight mm -hmm. because they can't harm a crown, uh, anybody of the, the princely line. Mm -hmm. And so they're completely obviated. He is one of the most celebrated uh, fighters in the realm. Mm -hmm. And so he brings a might and a gravitas to the other side that just wouldn't have been there otherwise. It also lends a sort of legitimacy um, to Dunk's cause. You oh, can see a so. sort of like... Even if by some miracle of the gods he won, mm. well, I don't, I mean... How you legitimate know. would it have yeah. been, really? Right. Um, yeah. It, it's also practically as well that pretty much everyone that's fighting on the other team is either a Kingsguard or a Targaryen. Yeah. That's their entire team. Yeah. So as you said, the, the Kingsguard can't fight him, but also his own family line can't hurt him. Because Kinslaying is well. the worst... It turns out differently. <laughs> yes. But it's under the assumption that Kinslaying is, again, the worst crime you can commit in Westeros. Right. And so... Him appearing in the tournament, which is essentially to the death in many ways, right, just uh, nullifies every possible weapon they can wield on this. Exactly, and and so it essentially brings it back down to a more one-on-one -on -one fight. Yeah. Yes, and that's and that's really the way that the battle that the melee is right. presented, right. Um, so we have seven, and we have seven, so we can we're good to go. We can start, right? Yeah. yeah. And notably, he immediately then changes it from a basically like the crown prince from a combat to the death to we're all going to use tourney spears now. Well, well their side, for is. their side, their side is going to for reasons both of practicality in terms of distance, but also because I think in some ways he's trying to make this a more nonviolent combat. His appearance in many ways is trying to nullify their features, and he even tells them. Everybody just stay away from the Kingsguard. I'll go against them because I'll yep. nullify yep. their effect. The weapons he's endorsing, his appearance, in some ways, like he's trying to put control on this more than otherwise was going to be. Yeah, it, it's a lot of a somebody's going to die and it's like, ah, calm down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> re relax a little bit. We're li we don't need to do that. We're like, letting Arian set the tempo for this event. Yeah, th this is not this is not a good idea. Yeah, somebody you know? at a bar fight just smashed a bottle and is waving it around, and it's a sort of like, man, I don't know. Can bro, we all bro, just bro, like bro, bro. Yeah. take a nap? It's yeah. like, <laughs> let's play quarters instead, maybe. Yeah. Like, like put, put, put the purple bottle down. Like, it, it'll, it'll be fine. Like yeah. maybe a little beer pong. Like we'll we'll get this settled out. Um, so the fight starts. It does. Um, with the horse essentially knowing the job better than Dunk does. At right. First. So they they get go. I mean, Dunk, this the fight is very much told from Dunk's perspective in in ways that some of the rest of the story is a little more sort of distanced. Right. But I think that this is this is very much from his perspective. Um, he is out of his mind, terrified oh, yeah. um, to begin with, but kind of falls into that muscle memory um, of what is supposed to happen, right. triggered triggered by Thunder, who is like, well, this is what we do now, yeah. so I'm gonna go. <laughs> the horse is ready for you. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was gonna say, this goes a, a little bit more from the uh, RPG of, like, a Dragon Age to uh, first-person Dark Souls kind of thing, where it's just like, you know, he's sort of wandering around, he's getting the stuff that he needs to do, and all of a sudden he's in a, a helm that he can barely see, 
and yeah. he's thundering towards a, a guy that is in better armor, has a better horse, mm-hmm. has yeah. a real blade coming at him. Yeah. And, and I love, as you talk about the limit, limiting of perspective, but this is a very narrow dump perspective, I love the physicality they associate with that. Because even the helmet he uses is just a narrow slit. It doesn't yeah. raise up. So all he can see is what's immediately dead in front of him, and all of that is in front of him is his own death. And he basically yeah. can't hear. Yeah, like, he can't he, hear right all now. of his senses are basically what is in front of him yeah. and... The, the mass that is thundering towards yeah, him. The entirety of his world is him charging at Arian and just seeing the spear bearing down on him. Yeah. All while he's repeating various little, little, little bits of wisdom like, uh, Oak and iron guard me well or else I'm dead and doomed to hell. All the old little rhymes and yeah. stories that he was told about what it was to know to be a knight. Yeah. Also, look where you want your lance point. Yep. He's sort of looking all over the place and it's like, yeah, all right, wait a minute. Yeah, so we actually really get a sort of like just how poor of a jobster yeah. he is. Right. Um, because everything is riding on this. And I mean, he repeats this to he repeats this um, advice to himself and he can't do it. No. Right. Like he just he actually cannot do it. And I mean, essentially in this initial pass, if he was wearing lesser quality armor with a lesser quality shield, mm-hmm. the fight's over. And Arian wasn't gets him. a massive yeah. seven foot oh, tall yeah. dude. Because basically, so what happens is his he does the typical jousting, you know, breaking his lance on uh, Arian's shield, and Arian buries his lance <laughs> into <laughs> Dunk and, yeah. you know, takes a chunk of his abdomen basically mm-hmm. out yeah. and dunk sort of goes well that's a problem i'm stuck I and can't pops move. it out yeah. yeah um and it's just like all right well let's do this and um they basically end up in a melee fairly shortly afterwards yeah. oh dunk yeah. loses his seat yeah dunk eventually loses his seat he's scanning around and seeing that this collection of people is already getting pretty badly mm-hmm. bloodied but he's lost his seat he's down to the earth Darian rams him again and knocks yeah. him off and then Arian, being just the comic book villain that he is of this story gets down off his horse to gloat yeah, it's like, I'm so much better than you, I don't need this advantage. Yeah. I, I'm going to explain to you why I'm better than you as I'm killing you. Yeah. And so there is much um, waving of the mace around. Waving, um, yeah, waving yeah. the mace. That He tries with his longsword, and basically it ends up that it Dunk did. falls. Dunk, Dunk falls to the earth and is about to be crushed and buried. But then, as we talked about, Dunk the Knight is pretty useless. Dunk of Flea Bottom is scrappy. He's he's pretty yeah. good. And so he essentially, I mean, he is about to get his head bashed in yeah. with his mace and he just launches himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, he wrestles a prince to the earth in the mud. Yes. Um, and is banging away at his yeah, armor just and just like be, just... Beats the crap out yeah. of him. You know, takes, essentially takes his mace away, uh, takes his shield, takes like, Aryan just, shield and just, just bashes like, Hammers it, it into yeah. his helmet. And eventually, we get a little whisper from the ground of, yield. I yield. I withdraw my complaint, yes. <laughs> um, but as this is happening, you know, suddenly everyone realizes, oh shit, the crown prince is down. Everyone starts to try to converge on Dunk. Dunk talks about vaguely being aware that Makor is now trying to fight to protect his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's hammering through the crown prince to try to get there. As Dunk eventually is like, okay, you've confessed, but I bet nobody heard that, and just drags him through the mud to the main Yeah, center. And does this sort of like, yeah. tell him. And, Again. And, but the other great part is, and this is so Aaron, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and it's like, no. Like, Again. Really? Well, yeah. I'll, like, I'll shake it out of you. Yeah. And, and essentially does. Oh, uh, we left out an important detail. I, I forgot about this entirely. Um... I, I, the Drunken Prince. What's the name of the Drunken Prince again? Darren. Darren. Comes to him the night before the tournament as well. 
to tell him essentially, I'm sorry, I told a false lie against you. Don't worry, I'm gonna be just falling down in the mud. Yeah, just like hitting on the side of the head. Yeah. Yeah. The very best yeah. at laying down in the yes. mud. Yes. Yeah. All of my brothers are better at me than all of these things, but I'm, I'm real good it. at laying down in the mud. But when I said I'd seen you before, I wasn't kidding. I had a dream. I had a dream of you wrapped under or over the body under, under, un, under, under a massive dragon under a dragon that, that is just stretched across the entire field the most massive dragon seen in centuries uh don't kill me please i know i'm a i'm a targaryen whatever else it, this will work out fine but this is the story that you're leasing with of the, again the prophetic effect of right. the targaryen family mm-hmm. but dunk successfully gets this withdrawing of accusation darian's down in the mud as he said he was going to be sure. Um, there are a couple of dead. Um, the, yeah, only on his side, really. Yeah, there's some hurt on the other side. Um, some, some of the Kingsguard are yeah. knocked and sent. Which, again, yeah. it kind of sucks for them, really, in this tourney of where they don't get to fight back. They just get the Crown Prince essentially knocking them out one by one. Yeah. But several, a couple on his side are dead. I think two, uh, two, two of them were killed in like, the first pass of Crimea. Right. But he's now badly injured because this spear went through like three layers of his shield and armor mm-hmm. and self. Um, and so he's going to be treated and he goes in, they're debating his medical treatment when suddenly the crown prince himself arrives to offer medical advice Mm -hmm. and to check in on Dunk. But there's apparent that something's off. Yeah. He's he's slurring his words. He's just not quite right. And he also, and so they have a discussion, but he also then starts talking about, I can't feel my fingers. Like my, my fingers are numb. Just want to check my helmet. Yeah. 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 It feels a little weird back there. But, and he starts getting this like vague, this weird tenor to his voice. He's talking about, I, you know, I need, I need good people to help me. I need good people. And Doug says, I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm with you. We need good knights in the realm. Yeah. And the steely pate actually comes up and helps the crown prince with his helmet to find that, Makor, in his desperate act to get to his son, stove in the back of his head. Yeah. So part of uh, Baylor's skull yeah. comes yeah. off As, with the helmet. Ex- yeah. Essentially, like... the helm was keeping his head together. Yes. And yeah. now that it's gone, his head's not there anymore. And yeah. he stands for a moment, looking just very confused, and falls. And then Dunk cradles his body, body of the dragon, while I think it was just repeating up, up, yes. over again, yeah. like it was the horse in the mm-hmm. turning. Uh, At least and... he wasn't raking him with the spurs. Discussing, we'll get to to horse discussion, but I'm really curious of some of your views about description of horses and how they're treated over the course of this book. We'll get to that. Yeah, Yeah, let's finish this. We're like, guys, we really need to finish this story. We're just about there. We finish the plot. We finish this chapter. Next scene cuts to uh, Dunk essentially at the funeral of the Crown Prince, of where he goes up to Trace to basically just thank Valar for his father's sacrifice. And Valor is not in the mood to hear this right now. It's like, why are you alive? And one of the greatest men of the realm essentially died for a nobody yeah. that mm-hmm. has no place in this kingdom. What sense does this world make that we're in? And Dunk goes off to his pavilion very much in agreement on this. He's very much crushed by the course of events. And then Makor shows up to essentially have an evolution of the same conversation. Of where Makor basically bonds, kind of almost bonds with him as much as he prickly can, saying that we both killed him. You killed him in the sense that he fought in this tournament to protect you, a hedge knight. I killed him, whether I meant to or not, when I dove, I strove in his head. Um, and they kind of talk what that means and what that says about the world, that this moment would happen, about how the world will judge us by this series of events. And what now I need to do with my sons because of what I've seen happen. 
Avoid. He sends Arian off to the seven cities because apparently that will make him better if he's off just touring a paradise. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't that what happens with sort of like noble sons when they right. do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it's rehab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but Egg is stubborn little kid that he is. Will accept, needs to be a squire to somebody now, but he will accept no one but you. So let's talk about how we can make this work. Um, which is kind of interesting because it's like, all right, well, you know, we're we need to finish your training because I mean, yeah, you're maybe technically a knight, but the technicalities are basically all you have. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, you're big. Yes, you're strong. But you can't really fight. You can't really sit a horse. I mean, there, there's just nothing there in terms of the actual training that you will need to be a knight. And so we'll sort of have the... Um, Take you to Summer Hall. You'll yeah. You'll the guards. We'll train you up there. It'll be great. This is kind of... I, to me, this kind of reminds me of like the uh, Qui-Gon Jinn... And uh, it's like, really? You're taking on a Padawan? That doesn't seem like a really good idea. You're way too young and new. Yeah. Um, but I think in some ways he wants to kind of just bury this. Of where he's going along because his son's just being annoying. But he wants to just make this not very public. You'll be a guard. You'll be at the castle. It'll be great. Yeah. Never talk about this again. And, you, and he says, you'll become one of my, yeah. Yeah, one one of my knights. Yes. Uh, and Dunk says no. Dunk says very determinedly no. Um, and he basically says, well, I pledged my, my sword to your brother before he died. And it's just like, okay, but no, that's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, like, why are you bringing that up again? We're trying to move away from that. Um, and also... But, and, Duck's very invested in the idea that the true knights are hedge knights, the servants of the realm. And it's of his view that the only way I will take this by all of my squire is if he joins me in the field. And yeah. actually... We need at least a couple of years out in in the yeah. wild, out yeah. in the world, not yeah. not within the sheltered confines of of what is your the princely court. And to which Makor reasonably responds, "Why the fuck would I agree to that?" Yeah. To which Dunk has a hell of a line he throws in his face. I I, I don't remember it. I was hoping uh, you. Were. <laughs> well, if you're right gonna do here. that, Please. you need to I have that right here. <laughs> you, so. You know, Maycar asks, well, what is it you're afraid to tell me? Say what you will, sir. And Dunk replies, well, Darion never slept in a du- in a ditch, and all the beef that Arion ever ate was thick and rare and bloody, like as not. A.K.A., well, your sons had all this comfort, and look how they turned out. Maybe it's a good thing the egg comes with me. And not only Maycar has no response to this. He just kind of sits pissed for a yeah, second no, and like, then just walks damn. away. Yeah. It's like, all right. All right. Thanks for bringing up my, my wayward sons. Um, you, why don't you leave my court now? <laughs> uh, so he leaves and he doesn't come back in person. He just sends the kid. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of where it ends. Um, and it's sort of... Mm-hmm. Oh, They're off the, on other adventures. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the one thing that they have at the end is, well, you know, the the puppeteer that, that, that I kind of liked, she's uh, going back to Dorne. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't seen Dorne. Why don't, why don't we uh, go that way and, and see what I can find? They have great puppet shows. Yeah. Um, and Egg is a consummate fan of the theater, so <laughs> might be some good education for him. 
So. so that's where the first novella ends, um, and then of course there are two others in this in this volume. But I think that 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 one is all we're going to do yep, today. This, uh, given, yeah. given the last two hours where you just spent explaining plot, probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, so we do have. I know Spencer, you have a couple of themes that you want to talk about, oh, sure. um, kind of as they go through. I think we've touched on them all already a little bit. So where would you like to start? Well, I think one of the main themes to discuss, and the one that really comes up in several characters, is just that the image you represent, the thing that you necessarily stand for and represent to the world, does not embody the person that you are, and in fact may actually hide the person that you truly are. And whether on purpose or not. Whether on purpose or not. It seems to be something that comes up with a lot of the characters, the Targaryens in, partic in particular, but also Dunk, too, in terms of what he is and what he represents to the world do not embody necessarily what he could be or what he's actually internally capable of. Okay. And so what do, you, what do you think he embodies to the rest of the world and what do you think he is internally capable of? Well, I mean, Dunk re represents the rest of the world as the lowest of the low. He is barely more than a mercenary. He is, in some ways to a lot of these lords, an insult to the idea that he could even be called a knight. He embodies, the fact that he embodies the idea of the knightly virtue just says something about what the institution has degraded to. But over the course of this tale, we see that he actually, in spite of his own self-doubts, is pretty savvy when he needs to be, he's pretty intelligent when he needs to be, and does many things that endorse him as a true knight of the Seven Kingdoms in a way that none of these other lords have ever had to be tested by. That the world itself in many ways is conspiring to defeat him here, but at the same time it's also lifting him up as almost a natural example of knightly virtue. There's a lot of very much symbolic elements to this, of where everybody else is sitting under a manufactured pavilion. Everyone else is, you know, representing their colors to the world. Dunk is in many ways making his knightly pavilion the world itself. He's gone off to the natural world and in many ways is embracing him and he's embracing it. He's actually, you know, trying to make a claim to being a knight based on this vague story, whatever else, but then the very crown prince himself comes to endorse him for it. And as said, one of the key and most powerful moments of this tale is when he's arriving at the tournament and everyone, is the, everyone that he thought has come to condemn him has come to cheer him as a knight who remembered his vows. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with your I agree with your sort of general arc of that. I think that you in in that arc um, are giving Dunk a little too much credit in like how much um, agency he has oh, in sure. doing all of this. I mean, I don't. He blunders into some things that are. He blunders into some things, but it's with the best of intentions that he always does so. And it's in some ways that as much as the world is looking to condemn him for that, it's at the same time looking to celebrate him for it. It almost feels like that it, rather than receiving the knighthood in the correct way, he's doing so by both pop popular and natural acclamation. So he's won the popular vote. Um, yeah. But the Electoral <laughs> College is against him. Yeah. In many ways. But the same is true with the Targaryens too. Those that most resemble the family line, those that most actually meet the various icons of the people associated with the Targaryens least embody the virtues that we'd actually expect the family to have. We see that with respect to several members of the Targaryen ruling princes. Baylor Breakspear, as we talked about, befits none of the physical archetypes of the Targaryen family. He does not look very much noble. He just looks like a, war, like a, like a former boxer that's sitting up, on, sitting up on the high seat. But he embodies all, everyone agrees, he embodies the virtues and feelings that people need for this position. While Arian Brightflame, who is very much the quintessential Targaryen look and bearing, is a nightmare upon what she could bring to the world. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting, too, who chooses to take, and this is um, on this theme, but sort of slightly askew mm -hmm. of it. Please. Um, but I do think that it's interesting um, who chooses to take a name or face that is not their own. Mm -hmm. um, and those are 
at every point exactly the people that you're talking about who have been um, put up as sort of natural leaders mm-hmm. or um, having the sort of chivalrous, more chivalrous, knightly, lordly mm-hmm. character, right? And so, um, and so that that needs to be hidden at some point, it, right? It needs to be hidden from that perspective and also just to accomplish things otherwise the world wouldn't let them do. I mean, Egg is hiding who he is so he actually can go and enjoy the world in a way the Targaryen prince wouldn't practically be as capable of doing. The crown prince is originally disguising himself in armor because he didn't bring his own and because he almost needs people to be surprised by this moment otherwise there'd be more resistance from his happening. And as a popular theory suggests, Dunk himself is masquerading as a knight for the purpose of allowing any of this story to occur. Well, and we can talk about that theory, um, but whether you hmm? whether you believe that or not, he certainly has to mask himself as a knight even for himself yeah. um, whether to be able to go forward. Right. Even, yeah. if he's, even, even if he's been dubbed, he's right. not truly a knight right. in many ways. Yeah. And I think he just gets that legitimacy. And this is sort of the, the story that has... Um, basically, the people essentially are demanding a knight in in many ways, and sort of to protect the common. And then he, whether he has that right or not, is in question up until the end of the story. And so I think this story is also one of a legitimization of mm-hmm. the rest of his life because not only was he knighted and basically taken into the service of a lord, it was basically the most powerful and knightly person in the realm Mm -hmm. that did so. Mm -hmm. And so any legitimacy that he may have lacked through Sir Arlen, he now has from Baylor Breakspear. Mm -hmm. So do we want to run through this theory um, real fast about whether um, Dunk is actually technically a knight or not? Sure. Uh, So the main main thrust of the theory is that um, Sir Arlen never actually knighted um dunk um that he died without having done so never intended to do so didn't think he was ready didn't think he would yeah any iteration of the words were not said the sword was not passed over the shoulders etc etc and that then um when arlen dies dunk takes on the mantle of the knight and just takes his stuff and decides well i'm gonna be a knight now i this is my opportunity nobody knows me Mm -hmm. i can recreate myself as whoever i want to be well the only thing i have any interest in being is a knight yeah and so this really comes up when um raymond falsaway wants to be knighted Mm -hmm. and uh well two times so that's the second time the first was um earlier on when he was trying to enter the lists and he was just like, well, you know, he touched me on, on the shoulders and, and then, you know, I said a couple of things and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally a knight. And they're like, well, usually, you know, you stand a vigil and there are oaths that you swear, and, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff yeah. that goes on. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we didn't do that. Um, and then the yeah. second up. And we see when um, Raymond Fossilway is knighted himself, it is a very much a ritual ceremony that's performed. There are set words that are repeated. There's a movement of the sword. It is very organized and regimented how this goes down. Right. And it also might be who's doing it. So, sure. so if it's a hedge knight, it might be a little bit different. But this was the Laughing Storm. This yeah. was uh, a Baratheon. This was one of the major houses essentially doing this for Raymond Fossilway. And so it might have been slightly different, at least in that manner. But... Dunk's reluctance to knight Sir Raymond Fossway because he probably didn't know what he had to do. And it was just like, well, I do have a sword, 
but uh, every everybody, all all of the princes and these lords are gonna watch me and know that I don't know what I'm doing. Well, it's a little bit, I mean, this is left a little bit ambiguous because it's not like he says, no, I'm not going to knight you. He is pulled away. Yeah. Right. Fortuitously, perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, so, so we don't know. It leaves that, that open, yes. is, is what I'm saying. It leaves yeah. open that he really doesn't know what he was doing. Or you could also say, you know, he was knighted by Sir Arlen and this is just a, a happenstance that... that there are these difficulties. Right. It's, it's already an interesting starting point of the story. Of where, again, the name of this collection of books is The Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. But the story begins after him being knighted, allegedly. Mm-hmm. It begins with, you know, Sir Arlen dead and him just burying him on a hill. Which is already an interesting event, but the only account we have of, D- of Dunk being knighted is an account that he's repeating to other people. Right. Very vaguely in, te- very vaguely in terms of the details. Um... There are several hints that suggest this might be the case that people have seized upon. We don't know this to be this to be true necessarily. No. Oh no, I was. I think that these hints, the the hints that most interest me, I think B J. the the scene about um, the knighting of Raymond Fossaway is one of those sort of external things that you can look at and say mm, that's a little mm-hmm. that's a little off. Um, but in Dunk's internal monologue, you get several moments where I mean he's constantly questioning his. Um, sort of right to be, yeah. 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 Um, but he also has, in particular moments of his own peril, um, an internal monologue that more directly says, "I was never a knight. I can't." And whether that is his own sort of self doubt, mm-hmm. or whether that is an actual sort of confession mm-hmm. um, in these mo- in these sort of last moments, potentially yeah. last yeah. moments. Yeah. Um, there, there is an interesting kind of ambiguity about like what, 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 what is he actually saying here? Oh yeah, and even in his initial thought process of where he's basically deciding what to do after he's mm-hmm. first buried Sir Arlen, his immediate thoughts are not, well, I'm a hitch knight now, I'll go be a hitch knight. It's that, okay, I can go be a squire for somebody, or okay, well, I guess I can go join you know the gold cloaks or a city watch somewhere. Yeah. It's only after he suddenly realizes, oh, there's a tournament. That the next scene we have, he's introducing himself as Sir Dunk the Tall. Sir Duncan, Sir Duncan the Tall, the sorry. Yeah, um, because he was going to be Sir Duncan of Flea Bottom, and that no. was like not... No, yeah. no it doesn't fly. Um, no, um, and as you said, the, uh, some of most honest moments we have of Duncan are when he's thinking for himself about who he is in the world. Yeah. And this moment we talked about of when Egg has come to apologize to him, and he says this very ambiguous line about he knows what it's like to tell a monstrous lie to get something that you wanted. Yeah. Seems to be indicative of uh, either we're going to find out more about this in later books, or... Maybe we're talking about something fore and foremost for this entire story. So there's a lot of these little hints that are going on the margins. And if this is the case, it ties into this theme again about people hiding who they are to get what they want. Or people not people representing the world something they aren't truly. So, alright. Let's take a straw poll. Where do you come down? Was he a knight at the beginning of this book or not? BJ. I would say no. Spencer. I think it's more interesting if he wasn't. I don't think he was. Okay. Um, oh, so I would say that regardless of whether he was actually yeah. knighted or not, he is not a knight at the beginning of the tale. Well, yeah, he is. So, he is not capable yes. of yeah. performing the like functions of the knight. He's not capable. Yeah. He has all of, you know, and literally no one else knows him as a knight. So for all intents and purposes, he's not a knight at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I feel like there are certain things that would have been passed on to him in that knighting ceremony that just weren't there. Like, you have to find your own heraldic symbol. Like, you have to get your own device. Which, you know, if Arlen was strong enough to knight him, say a bunch of words, he could have added, like, three or four more sentences. Like, 
you'll need to paint your shield. You know, you're you're not a true born son of mine, but I have brought you up as one of my own. Mm. Even so, the these are these are a couple of things that yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Pick an image before you talk to the Dornish girl. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> And even just practically, we talked about this before about his level of training and his level of experience. Mm-hmm. If indeed Sir Owen knighted him, it clearly was a last-second thing because he's only practically been trained right. at the basic aspects of being essentially a, a knight's servant. He's right. not been really effectively trained in much else. Yeah, he is really good at scouring pots. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think would we also agree that like by the end of this first novella, that is a moot point. It. Yes. Yes. He, he yeah. is, right. He's been yeah. accepted he into the service yeah. of two princes. Right. Yeah. Essentially, if he wasn't a knight at first, he's achieved it by his own means and terms. Okay. He, by again, the popular acclamation we've been talking about. No, and it is it is interesting because he does like this. Many of the moments in this first novella are like moments of self creation. Like he yeah. has created himself as a knight. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has chosen his own name and his own sigil uh, in yeah. a sort of you know. Well, actually, actually, his sigil was chosen. By one of the most powerful people in the land. That's true. Yeah. That's fair. It, um, basically, all of the most powerful people in the land have forced him into the path that he's now taking, which is also kind of funny. Um, okay, so where do we want to go next? Other. Well, I think a fun theme to talk about is one you already referenced, is the style of this tale in terms of how it is presented, where it very much comes across as being an old-style fable or passed-down oral story. That was me. Sorry. Rather than being just a, a more uh, class... Even, it being very distinct from it's even the uh, um, the Song of Ice and Fire books in terms of how it's written and its style of presentation. Oh, it's very different. Um, not only in the sort of... I mean, this is a much more sort of sparse um, world that we're inhabiting, mm-hmm. right? Um, written world that we're inhabiting. Just the level of detail that is given, um, the level of following people. I mean, we've talked a little bit about kind of how time expands and contracts in weird and interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think that one of the things that makes this much more fable-like and distinct from A Song of Ice and Fire as well is that, you know, we are in a sort of third-person mm-hmm. limited view here, right? Um, we get moments of an omniscient narrator. Um, mostly, though, we only get insight into Dunk's head, mm-hmm. Um, whereas, of course, A Song of Ice and Fire is all sort of from much more closer perspectives on individual characters. Sure. Um, and so there's a question of who is narrating this, right? If we are around the campfire and this is supposed to have been a sort of oral thing that is being told, mm-hmm. where is it actually coming from, who, right? Who is our Homer in the story right. passing exactly. out of this epic yeah. tale? Um, and I mean, I don't, I, I don't have an answer to that, but it's that's a very different style of narration um, and a very different viewpoint. So you'd say that Ashford might be Hrothgar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you say, it even fits into the descriptions. The descriptions are almost purposefully stylized as if they're almost coming out of a dream and seen through cheesecloth. There's mm-hmm. very little in the way of grit. Everything is soft edges in terms of describing the various elements of the world that it's in. Mm-hmm. And the episodic nature of it, too, oh, yeah. is is also, um, I mean, I said it earlier, but it feels like this sort of series of somewhat discrete events that could be told sort of night by night, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, it doesn't feel necessarily like there is an arc that we are following. Yeah. Um, or at least not a sort of teleological arc that and we are following. It also seems like someone is painting broad brushstrokes of what's going on at the time to mm-hmm. an informed audience. And so I guess I kind of imagine that this is somebody taking down Sir Duncan's recollections way later in his life. Mm-hmm. 
because there are things that seem to be known about a lot of the princes and where they are and what's going on and sort of how he recalls his interactions with Egg and mm -hmm. some of these formative moments are a little bit rose-colored glasses but also just the the weight and heaviness of things that shape the realm that he is now a yep. major part of yeah. and that feel of the recollection and the feel of a somewhat brash and maybe begrudging hero mm -hmm. that we know that he eventually becomes essentially one of the heroes of the realm yeah and so he has to both understand his prowess and his strength but also is probably uncomfortable with how that started out and it started out in a way that was a little bit of a lie and then also in almost an apocalypse of the realm yeah and so i think sort of all of that plays into a coloration of how this narrative goes and how some of it's rose-colored glasses and some of it how some of it is i just sort of happened into this but all of these other terrible things happened and it's i think it's interesting what you said as well about um this sort of some of the broad strokes here are a kind of audience-based kind of thing where like if this was actually being told mm -hmm. um like around a campfire or whatever that you would be expecting your audience to know the details of this world and so you can you can list mm -hmm. lords and families and never go back to them because like you would have the context for that it's right. like people yeah. reading chaucer saying like well i don't know what this thing is. and well but you would have yeah right like in the right. way you would right. have known what that is you almost like expect the audience to jump in with things exactly like, and, and then there was sir lionel baratheon the laughing storm yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that you mentioned that the idea of this is like being dunk's recollection of events way in the future because then it almost has a tenor of a confessional element attached to it too particularly mm. if this is ultimately concluding in some way with him revealing the truth of the original lie in some ways. Right. And also maybe I, I, if he's, you know, writing histories down in the Kingsguard book mm. that he played a major role in a major change in the empire. Yeah. And so I could sort of see it, how he's leading up to like what's happening and, and sort of like the vague recollections. And it's like, Oh yeah. And I met this, you know, I met, the prince and you know in his cups and he he shouted at me that you know you're gonna you know be the downfall of the dragon and just like and it what? stuck out to me it's like what um yeah and that would also like i think make a lot of sense too if that is the sort of structure that this is getting to about why there is so much repetition in mm -hmm. here as well as of particular phrases of particular moments um I mean, that's how someone tells their story. If you were just talking to somebody, like you have these sort of um, touchstones, touchstones yeah. almost, they're almost ticks for him yeah. in like, in parts of this. Particularly the repeated lines of his, but what yeah. thoughts were in his head. It's <laughs> yeah. usually the same three you know, stories or thought or rhymes repeated. And I mean, that, that tracks. Yeah, it does. Just with yeah. Dunk, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that seemed, that's real. <laughs> All right. Um, what else do we have to talk about? I think we've summed up pretty well unless there are some other things that you wanted to do i think this is probably a good time to to wrap this up um yeah i mean we've covered a lot of terrain is there any other topics people find interesting or want to bring up i think we're good well you know this has been another mangum reads and and to uh acquiesce to some of our listeners 
requests, we've done another short story rather than a more complex uh, full-length <laughs> novel. Um, and this has sort of been a New Year's special where we've done a lot of content and a, a little bit of sort of an offshoot. Um, so this was a crossover episode with our sister podcast, GOT, Got Questions. Um, and we'll probably be turning returning to our regular scheduled content as soon as we can uh, <laughs> with the Bobaverse and finishing that out. And then we'll sort of try and figure out where we go from there. Mm -hmm. And thank you for to all of our lovely guests, most of whom have left the room because they got bored. Um, but <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to say that. Don't worry, don't worry the audience <laughs> did the did. same thing. Um, they just so left. we have some special guests: Sarah George Waterfield, that's the, me, the mm -hmm. uh, mate and wife of uh, Terry Lee, mm -hmm. uh, my girlfriend Brianna. Who, I was like, uh, are you not going to name me? I, I am going to name <laughs> you. The, un, the unnamed girlfriend. It's a very sort of Martinish. Martin exactly, the unnamed. Um, it's part of the, the peanut gallery. Mm -hmm. And uh, Spencer, my continual co-host. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. You can find all of our content on mangumtalks.com. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please click the Contact Us uh, link at the top right, I believe. And you can find us on I, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as we have a subreddit where you can uh, make any comments that you want to there. And thanks for joining us.